Hey, Ron. It's David Duke. It's him. It's him. Look, you know, I don't share this with a lot of people. Well, I'm anxious to meet you. Excited to meet you too, Ron. Aren't you ever concerned of some smart aleck nigger calling you pretending to be white? <laughs> no. Uh, I can always tell when I'm talking to a negro. How so? Well, take you, for example, Ron. Me? Yeah. I mean, I can tell that you're a, a pure Aryan white man from the way you pronounce certain words. Whew. Can you give me any examples? Yeah. Um, take the word uh, R. Pure Aryan, like you or I, would pronounce it correctly. R. Negro pronounces it Ara. You ever notice that? It's like, uh, Ara, you're gonna fry up that crispy fried chicken, soul brother? Wow, you are so white. Thank you for teaching me this lesson. If you hadn't brought it to my attention, I wouldn't have noticed how we talk and how Negroes talk. Good. Good. <clears throat> I'd love to continue this conversation in Colorado Spring. It's beautiful here, sir. God's country. Well, that's what I hear, Ron. I look forward to uh, meeting you, and we'll be talking real soon. God bless white America. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That's the one. That's gold. Wrap it. Send it to post. Let's get it. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. You can't handle the truth. King Kong ain't got shit on me. I am the I'm so much crazier. I am the one who knocks. Go ahead. Make my day. Nice day, big boy, huh? That's Brock. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Welcome, everybody, to Facing Off, podcast in which we compare, contrast, and rate two uh, pieces of media that are similar in some sort of way. Today's episode, Shaft versus Superfly. <laughs> so Just funny, because that's mentioned in the movie. Yeah, it is. That's where it comes from. <laughs> wow, Nick, you uh, watched it. Good reference. Yep, nailed it. I'm Nick. Mean. That's Gabe. The other voice you heard is our friend right. Mike, and Layla's here, too. Um, Hi, friends. Mike, welcome Hello, to the everyone. podcast. We're so happy to have you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, it's an honor to be here and to listen <laughs> to you guys. I've been so proud of watching you guys' follower count grow. It's just beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> thank you, Mike. <laughs> Mike is, uh, Nick and I went to college with him. He's one of our good buddies from there. Uh, huge movie fan. And uh, he actually just uh, was telling me on the phone like two days ago, uh, that he listened to our Underworld and Blade episode, and yeah. Yeah. he's yeah. got some issues with us. I, 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 oh, my goodness. Not so much with you. Just uh, Nick, Nick's feelings about Underworld didn't make any sense. But, you know, it's fine. We won't go into it. <laughs> oh, oh, taking me to <laughs> Call him out. Call him I'm out. Just kid- I'm just kidding. I'm a, like, listen, when he said movie fan, like, I'm more of like a movie mark. We call him wrestling because it's like I just, I'm, like, I just, I love stuff. Once I love it, I love it. So you'll see it. You'll see what happens today. Uh, all right. I cannot wait. Uh, Nick, uh, I guess you can get us started. Unless sure. Layla, do you have anything that you want to bring up? No. Okay. <laughs> should I have something? Just that making sure. Was that a, no. Were you teeing her up for something? 
I know. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> no, I just wanted I was to very, know I was very it quiet. It certainly sounded like you were <laughs> trying episode. to cue her to say something. You were baiting Layla, me. is there something you need to tell us? <laughs> I feel very okay. baited right now. I'm good. Hi, everybody. Uh, Nick, <laughs> that, that, in the future, that's where Layla will drop the sponsorship. Just so you guys yeah. know. That's exactly where Layla will plug whatever your sponsor is. Thank you for that promo, Layla. <laughs> you're, you're waiting for it. <laughs> Thank you to Passion Fruit LaCroix. Uh, oh. LaCroix um, could sponsor us. That'd be great. Okay, so Shaft is the story of no, – I'm just kidding. Our movies today are uh, <laughs> Black Klansman uh, versus Judas and the Black Messiah, two movies about empowered black Americans. But in um, one – of today's films, the protagonist infiltrates the den of David Duke's Ku Klux Klansmen, and the other, the white powers that be, infiltrate the Black Panthers and eventually assassinate a budding American hero by the name of Fred Hampton. And those are our two movies. Absolutely. Woo! Yeah, uh, this was a suggestion from Mike. Well, since Aaron Lapping is definitely listening to this, he had suggested that we do it, but he didn't give any context for why we would do it, so I thought it was a stretch. <laughs> And then Mike reached out, and you were like, well, w- what was the big tie-in for you? Yeah, Mike, why did you want to do this? Uh, well, one, I absolutely am obsessed with the movie Black Klansman, so anytime I get a chance to talk about it, uh, I'll speak on it <laughs> in any way, <laughs> shape, or form that I can. I think it's like one of the most important movies to come out in like the last decade. Um, wow. But and the reason I wanted to compare the two movies like directly was, uh, you know, it's... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Was really because you ha- what you have is like two black men, black Americans going undercover and infiltrating organizations that everybody knows about. I mean, historically from the six, or late 60s to like the early 80s, and even right now with Black Panthers, yeah. um, we know that these organizations have existed and we know that they exist for racial motivations. So two organizations are infiltrated by black individuals for very different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that that contrasts very well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it it definitely it clicked in my mind when uh, when you said that, and then when we were rewatching. So let's get into it. All right, Um, I am going to moderate again for today, so I won't get to share my opinion because we don't care about your opinion, and that's yeah. I won't get to. uh, I made Mike mad apparently when I talked about. Not really. Come on. (laughs) I'm not even going to talk this time. Uh, I'm just going to tell you when to shut up. Uh, and what we're going to do... I'll need that. I'll need that. Trust me. Is going to... Not you specifically. I was talking to Gabe. Um, yeah, I knew it was about me. What we're going to do is our normal categories, um, our normal five, and our normal scale of one to seven, with one being the lowest, seven being the highest, and four being uh, dead average. Um, we're going to start today's episode with originality. And talk about the originality Whoa. of these two movies. Flipping it on me. My um, goodness. I, I do have a reasoning. Um, and But we we are going to start with originality. Originality is a category about how original the movie is. Did the movie need to be made? Um, which is why I want to start with these two. And um, Mike, do you feel comfortable leading off, my man? Oh, yeah, I think he's I mean, like ready. In terms of uh, it was, it <laughs> tell, really tell us Black why Klansman. you think Black Klansman <laughs> is one of the most uh, important. Let's start with Black Klansman and and you and originality. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of originality, I mean, here's a little. Uh, some people don't know Jordan Peele actually was a good portion of. Uh, he was a producer on this. He actually wrote it, gave it to Spike Lee in the first place. Um, and I think that this story itself is one of the most unique stories you'll ever hear. Both by the fact I didn't bring this up during the comparison part, but 
they are both based on a true story. Both of these people who these movies are about are real people. Ron Stallworth is a real person who really did. He still walks around with that. He, he shows it to everybody on news interviews. He has that card from the Ku Klux Klan still. He still has a membership card. So I just think that having a story like that, that no, I mean, I didn't know about that. I never knew about that story until this movie happened. Uh, I don't think anybody did, honestly. I don't think, if you, I think if you told anybody that there was a black Klansman, they'd have been very confused. Um, even though there was a movie kind of about it a long time ago, but I won't get into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that the movie, it has this... Um, it's it's power it's powerful because it was it's a story of a black person becoming a police officer and so often especially now and I'll talk about this more in legacy but um the relationship between racial tension and like police is always something that's talked about in movies right that's that's the thing we've seen in movies time and time again but not very often have we seen it from the perspective of a black person and like like he said in the early portion of the movie he says you're going to be like the Jackie Robinson of this uh, department. And so what does that mean? Like that means you're going to deal with slurs. That means you're going to deal with aggression. And just the fact that this, this was a real story. This guy really did this. Uh, I, I think that that's just, you don't get more original than that. Like this is a, a story that happened. It's one of the most shocking things to have happened in real life. And then to make a screenplay off of it. I mean, I, you don't get better than that, in my opinion, it's for, in terms of originality. So what's your score? I well, yeah, you a seven it? out of seven there. Is that a seven? Oh yeah, yeah. That's a hard seven on hard seven on originality. <laughs> that's what hard I figured, seven but you on, have to say it. Okay. Oh, I gotta say it. All right, all right. Yeah, hard seven on originality, and like <laughs> I think, like according to your questions too, like how does it stand out in the genre? Yeah. I mean, again, nothing like it. Uh, nothing like it. So. Yeah. Go ahead, Gabe. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, Gabe. I, so. Yeah, come on. <laughs> uh, so it, it's interesting for me. So I this movie, and I'll talk about this more in Spectacularity, it didn't work for me that well the first time I watched it. Second time and third time, which was this last watch, I liked it more and more. And I started noticing little things that I, I liked more and more. I think the screenplay is obviously great. You know, he finally won an Oscar for it. And so there was a lot of originality in that. And I like both of these movies do this. I like that neither of them are just like straight up biopics. Like mm -hmm. they're taking a very interesting story and not just focusing on the details of one person's life or a group of people's lives. It's a very specific moment in their life and an important one. Um, I agree with Mike. I think this is a really f not just as a cop. I just to be the type of person that Ron Stallworth was and to have that kind of courage is so great. And I like that. Not only that, he's just so funny in it. Like there, there's a lot of there's a lot that went into the character writing. You know, I don't know. Ron Stallworth could have been a super funny person in, in real life, but um, they just they add to that to make you more interested in the characters. Another thing, like not that it it drowns out the ideas of race relations, but this is one of the first instances I know where when they talk about the KKK in a movie. They're talking. There's a lot about anti-Semitism too, and that, a lot of that gets lost. You know, there's a big focus on on Jewish relations there, and they have you know one of the characters who I assume in real life was also Jewish, um, being Jewish. I thought that was great. I will say there's, you know, like one more positive thing. I it's really interesting when you with both of these movies. This is a plus for both, but the way you look at the speeches that are made between Alec Baldwin's little speech at the beginning and 
Martin Sheen's little speech at the beginning of Judas and then Kaluuya's speech and then um, Ron, Ron Stallworth's uh, – or not Ron Stallworth, um, Kwame Ture's speech. It's just – it's a lot of similar ideas taken different directions. And I love the writing of that speech. I don't know if it was actually something that Kwame Ture said when he went to that college, um, but I thought it was interesting. But um, it, it's a lot about the rhetoric and there's a lot of does he really mean this? Is he telling you to – you know, bear arms or whatever against the police, or is it rhetoric to be powerful and for people to resonate? And there were a couple scenes where Adam driver addresses that. Um, if I could say like one little negative thing, I, 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 I'm going to give it actually a six out of seven. And I, I was leaning towards a lower score when I first watched it. But, um, I think sometimes the use of humor in this movie takes away from the importance of it. Like, I love watching it for its humor. I think it's super funny. Um, But at some points, it becomes cartoonish. And I know a lot of white audiences, like, watched this movie, laughed at it a bunch, and then were more impacted by the scenes from Charlottesville than they might have been at the story. And I think a lot of that is because there's so much use of humor in it. And the characters are so fucking goofy. Um and I don't know if that's necessarily an originality thing. It definitely is a movie that needs to be made, but I think that it almost takes away from the ideas that are expressed in it. That's why it's not a perfect score for me. That makes sense. Layla looks like she was about to pop halfway through that. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, so go ahead, Layla. Well, no, I was only really just reacting because everything you just said is actually like a positive for me. I gave it a six, and I gave oh. it a six because I do think that it's nice to see a race relations film or a film about people of color that isn't just an incredibly dramatized film. I, it's really, it's really fucking nice to see a movie. Not that it, I I didn't feel like it made light of anything. I think that would have been different for me. Like if it made light of the concepts, that's a whole other ball game. Cause that's no, we don't want to like diminish the experiences these people had, but I do think that it felt nice to watch a movie that had like, it was able to be just like real human life moments. Like there, there are human life, funny moments that happen amidst all of this chaos. And I loved yeah. that. And similar to Gabe, I was not a big fan of this movie the first time I saw it. Um, but upon rewatch, I, I like all of my scores went way higher than I thought that they would. I didn't, I, I gave it a six. I'm not, I wouldn't go to a seven only because as much as his life, like the experience that he had is an incredibly original one. This is a film based off of a memoir and it is based off of like real life events. This isn't like an entirely original idea. It is based off of a book and written off of a book and a memoir. So I don't think I could go to a seven because of that, but everything that they do with what they had and the information they had about this man's life is incredibly original. The way that they portray it. Spike Lee is obviously also a very original creator. He's an artist. I'm not Spike Lee's biggest fan, but I can easily say here that he's an incredibly original artist and human being and does a great job in what he's trying to do with this movie. So I gave it a six. It's interesting hearing like both of you guys say the same thing. And what's, I actually wrote it on my little note here. It was like, this movie is one of the only movies I've ever seen that gets better under a microscope. You put this movie under a microscope, Definitely. you start really trying to break it down, and it's like you start seeing things that you weren't seeing the first time. Like some, like a small example, which is probably going to be talked about in I Kenny, is like the scene changes. I just noticed that when I watched it last night. I was like, well, the scene so changes. Good. It's Colorado scenery so every single time. It's beautiful. Time. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. So like yeah. just little stuff like that for me really, really just makes it better. you know. And as you watch it, 
time and I think last time last night was like my seventh viewing of it. And it was like Oh wow, you true fan. This. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I can see myself watching a lot more times, so yeah. Very cool. Um, and what um, just, I'm sorry, real quick, to speak on what no. Layla was saying about the real life moments. Um and then to again speak on what Gabe was saying about the funniness. I don't really feel like at any point jokes were being told necessarily, as much as it was John David Washington's performance kind of being so much more, like this you said, being existence. Ron Starworth. Yeah, yeah, just being Ron Starworth was maybe like that just it just came off funny. But I don't really feel like jokes were written into it. I don't know. Maybe I'm you know, I didn't really I'll, I not, you know what I'll I'll table that point for acting because I'm not talking about uh John David Washington at all. I think it's more with the KKK um mm. the casting and stuff. And so I'll I'll talk about that. But I, I, I agree with what I think that's a fair said. point. Let's transition to talking about a movie that's really not funny at all. Um, because the story of Fred Hampton right. is not funny at all. I've been listening to right. Fred Hampton's speeches all day. I've been re-listening really? to old podcasts that I've listened to in the past about Fred Hampton, who I think is one of the most interesting people in the history of the country. Um, and let's talk about Judas and the Black Messiah. And we'll start with Layla on this one. Um, I also gave this one a six. I gave both of them sixes. Um, I mean, I just think in general, telling the story from Lakeith's perspective is just, Mm -hmm. it's a move. Like that is, that is a choice. And it's a choice that a lot of people would not have made. And a lot of stories are not told this way. And that is an incredibly original idea, A, a, a leap of faith. Absolutely. And I think it, in my opinion, I'll talk more about it. I think it very much aids the way I absorbed the story. And I think it's a different perspective on something we've seen many, many times. And I think that's, I think that's great. And I think it's important. Um, I think the way that it's directed and filmed and acted is incredible. I think it has its own stamp to it. I do think it's just a really well-made film, but I think just just going from that perspective, going into the storyline from that character's perspective is an incredibly original idea and not one. And that, in my opinion, needed to be made. So, um, yeah, I'll go with the six. I am not going to interject I, too much of my opinion, but just because you said that and I wrote it down, that is what I think is the most original part of Judas and the Black Messiah. Listening to what I've listened to and learned about Fred Hampton never once in any of the informational things I've listened to, do they focus on William O'Neill. And so to see this played out in that way was, um, meaningful for me, uh, and very yeah. unique. Yeah. Um, go ahead, uh, Gabe, and then we'll close with Mike. Michael open and close. This yeah. Segment. I mean, I totally agree with that. Um, it, it's interesting for both of these movies. They really stand out in originality because no biopics are like that. So with Black Klansman, it's a lot of the humor brings out the unique quality, but it's also like we're exploring someone like probably no one knows about. Um, whereas this one is more of an, you know, that's more of an event. This one's more of about the people's lives. It's a lot about Fred Hampton's life and it's a lot about uh, Bill O'Neill's life. And so... I, what's really important to me, I, I don't like biopics. I bring this up almost every time we do them. But when you can keep a story as accurate as this and still make it as unique as possible and take it from a different perspective than the average person would, it's got to stand out for this. So, you know, not only is it unique to just focus on Bill O'Neill, it's the reason why Shaka King and the Lucas brothers, who, 
by the way, are stand-up comedians who helped write this movie. Like the the way that they thought about it was, what type of person makes Bill O'Neill? What type of person would do that? Why would they do that? What, like, how would they continue to do that? You know, after Fred Hampton was assassinated, he continued to work there. Um, you know, without getting into every nitty gritty detail as well about Fred Hampton's life, they give you just enough that you need to know about him. And and it's never just straight up told to you. You see it. So, like, you know, it, something that was real that he actually did was he would memorize Dr. King and, and Malcolm X's speeches, almost like he was memorizing lyrics to a song. Um, and he would rework them a little bit in his speeches and they don't really just like, they don't sit around and have characters talk about him doing that or something, you know, it just happens as like a transition before he goes to talk to Deborah. Um, I also just really like that this movie is so personal without being fake. Like it's, it's so focused on what made these type of people instead of just being like, Oh, here's this one thing they did. And here's the other thing they did. And let's just piece by piece go through their history. So I also gave it a six. Um, and, and I think for both of these movies, it's really rare for a biopic to be, to get like a six for me. Um, hmm. out of seven. What are your <clears throat> thoughts, Mike? You guys actually both just bumped my score up a little bit, honestly. Cool. Uh, just hearing kind of, like, Oh, woo. Good. I yeah, love hearing, when that happens. <laughs> yeah, hearing hearing your takes on it. Um, because literally, some of the things that you've said that you've praised are things that I was critical about of this film. Like, um, Layla was mentioning how they took it from the perspective of Bill O'Neill, and and really kind of focused and told the story completely through Bill O'Neill's eyes. And then Gabe had said, you know, they didn't really get into the details of Fred Hampton's life. Those are two things that I actually walked away from the movie upset about the first time I watched it. I was kind of like. Why didn't I get more Fred Hampton? People don't know who Fred sure. Hampton is. So yeah. why didn't I get more Fred Hampton? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I get more of that? And why did I get so much rat? I don't, like, why did I get so much rat? Like, I just focused so much on yeah. the snitch. Uh, <laughs> so that was my initial perspective of it. But, like, kind of, like I said, just hearing your perspective and seeing a story told through that lens, that is, you're right, that's very original. That's not something that happens. We don't oftentimes get... The ant like the antagonist for the whole movie, you know, get mm-hmm. their whole story, like, and not really even so much an antagonist as much as just a a tool of the antagonist, right? Just right. A, yeah. a tool yeah. of the FBI more Absolutely. so than the antagonist yeah. himself. Uh, so that's very interesting. I'm gonna have to mark uh, move move mine up then a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> move mine up there. It was like so, a one to a two. No, no, it was. A, I was at a four. I thought it was. I thought it was like oh, nice. average in terms of originality, only because like I came like. Movies like Malcolm X, movies like Selma, mm. I've kind of touched on a lot of that yeah. style. The FBI's bad, they're yeah. coming for you, they're going to use a black guy to kill you. Like, I've yeah. seen that in movies, I've seen that in movies before. It's not funny. You know, so so in, terms of, in terms of that being, see, that was a Ron Stallworth moment. It wasn't funny, but you got to laugh, right? It's, it's one of the, that's, that's how you that cope. Is, right. It's how we that, cope. Right? That's one of the beauties of Black Clansman. It makes you do that the whole that's movie. But anyways. That's a funny point. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But yeah, like I think that that's a story I've heard, kind of. But you're right; the perspective coming from him is very unique. So I'm gonna move it up to a five. Okay. Woo! Now, when you said though, Mike, uh, that people don't know about Fred Hampton, is this movie a six or a seven if it focuses on Fred Hampton for you? Because you think it needs. I think that movie needs to be made the the true Fred Hampton hardcore biopic. Not necessarily. Yes, yeah. I was going to try to backtrack Let's a little bit. Let's do that but yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do think like 
the the story of the infiltrator because again like we don't get the story of the infiltrators in Malcolm X. We know Malcolm X was shot by, you know, African American people, but we don't know what their story was. You know, we know that certain leaders have been civil rights leaders have been betrayed by fellow people, but we didn't know what their story was. We didn't know what their inspiration was. Maybe yeah. their all their stories were Bill O'Neill's story. And like I had no choice in doing what I had to do. So um I I do yeah, it it gets up to I don't really know what the Fred Hampton movie looks like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably looks a lot like Mal- the Malcolm X movie. Um, yeah. mm. So I, I again, I have to, I, I got to rock with it five for originality. I think it's, it's, it's special, it's still above average. That's yeah, good. yeah, it's That's definitely good. above average. Definitely above average. Uh, let's transition into spectacularity, uh, which is typically oh, yes. the category we start with. But I wanted to start with originality because I thought it gave us a little more of the rich history. That was really original two. of you, Nick. Thanks, dude. I didn't even think of My it that God. way. Uh, but now <laughs> I'm just going to wear that as a badge of honor. Um, let's yeah. start with um, let's start with Gabe, and we'll talk about Judas and the Black Messiah for spectacularity. I am so glad. Thank you for that because this is <laughs> this is so interesting. This is a really dark movie, an extremely dark movie, and it is an extremely dark part of history. It's something um, very tragic, but I, I, can't, I can't even really describe like, how engaging this movie is personally to me, and it's like almost rewatchable, which is just so strange. I mean, if I said that to almost anyone, they'd be like, how, how can you rewatch that? It's so haunting and stuff, and it's, it, it's so dark. I, I mean, when I saw the trailer, I mean, this is like one of the all-time great trailers I've ever That's seen. True. Absolutely. It got me so into this movie. And then I was ready. What, <laughs> what it is, is it's, you know, it doesn't hurt that... Th- in terms of being a drama, it's so interesting because it's filled with so many scenes of, like, violence. And they're kind of shot like action, action like, shootout scenes. Like they're the two, very the two intense. big shootouts are kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. And even though each of those are heartbreaking in their own ways, there's it's inevitably like engaging when you get that. Um the scene when they're going back and forth between Deborah reading the poem to him and Jake Winters like fighting off the cops is like best scene. I mean best I'm like so fully good. at the edge of my seat during that. Absolutely. Um I gotta say another thing, like I always bring this up in spectacularity in terms of how it keeps me engaged. The score is so unique in this. Like the the horns at the beginning are like eerie, and it just every he uses the the scores as transitions in between like very intense moments, and it'll come in in one scene and then transition to the other, and it sounds very cool. Um, In terms of like the most watchable scenes, I mean that church scene with Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton is one of the most electric scenes I've seen in the last 12 months. Like, I, I was more engaged in that scene than in, like, the biggest moments in Tenet. And the back, like, not only is it just his speech and his performance in that, which we'll get to, but, like, the back and forths between Bill and Agent Mitchell, it just builds up so much tension, and you're just, like, fully hooked into that scene. Um, the murder of Fred Hampton is, like, an obviously, it's an extremely gutting way of how they uh, how they present it on rewatch i noticed another thing that like was really it was like really heartbreaking is that they introduce mark clark right in that party scene when they're when they're eating food or whatever and and um he he's this really friendly guy and he's talking to lakeith uh, bill o'neill about how he just moved over from the naacp and he was really excited to start working with fred hampton and 
that dude is the first guy to get shot and the other person who got shot when the FBI raided um, Fred Hampton's apartment and he was only 22 years old. And just knowing that that's Mark Clark when you're rewatching it and knowing that they present him as just such a nice like person with so much in front of him just like Fred Hampton, it's it's devastating. So I'm like, even for like a drama, I'm at like between a 6.5 and like a 7. And and I was kind of shocked by that. Well, I'm gonna do six point five. It's so six point seven five. Is that what? Wait, I mean? wait, you're you're allowed to yeah. add decimals now? Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, dude. This guy's just, just making to up make rules. Nick's life this guy's hard. Just making up rules over here. <laughs> <laughs> how is he supposed to add that together? You got to pick one, man. I can't even. <laughs> no, no, how to it's do that. that's the why I do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what actually was your score? I'll do six point five. I really, okay. I I do. I like. I don't <laughs> want to give it. Make it a, a seven, seven, man. It's. It's still a biopic, you know? We're still getting too many, like, details about someone's life. I don't know. Okay, Mike. No, fuck it. I'm giving it a seven. You're going to give it a seven? <laughs> yeah, I love wow. that movie so Mike, much. Mike, it's your turn. You you get the rebuttal here. Yeah, because I was like, well, on that point, you know, I don't really feel like I got enough details about really anybody's life, honestly. I, I feel like I'm just kind of like wanting some more. I want more details. I want. I always want to know more from those guys. But I, I'm different than you, in effect, in the sense that I really enjoy biopics, so... Um, a yeah. little different, a little different for me, but you know, exactly what you said, man, I, you know, um, about that scene with him when he came back from jail and he's making his first, uh, he's making his first speech. I don't believe I'm going to die in no car wreck. Yeah. I don't believe I'm going to die sleeping on no ice. I don't believe I'm going to die from a bad heart. I believe I'm going to die doing what I was born to do. I believe I'm going to die for the people. I'm like, Ooh, man, that made me stand up in my, in my house. <laughs> I'm like in my room <laughs> watching that and I stood up, I stood up. I'm like, Ooh, man, I, I'm going to die for the people because I love the people. I'm like, that's just, that's so beautiful. Like, I, that that yeah. had me fully immersed. Like, I mean, I'm, when you're standing up, obviously, you know what I mean? I'm fully immersed. Like, you're, <laughs> you're, in, you're in it. Like, there's no reason for me to be standing up and by myself watching the movie. Like, you're in it, you know? Um, so I think in terms of spectacularity, and then like you said, from the violence from, the, the, the depiction of violence in the movie, I think is really important. And I think that it did differently than what a lot of movies do um, when they discuss, you know, um, race, like racial tension and uh, the black experience, I think a lot of it, a lot of times you get so much violence towards um, black people without any kind of retribution or rebuttal. It's just kind of like. So true. Ugh. You know, you get like kind of worn hard down to watch. By it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think this one gave you that like it. Yeah. You, you watched Jimmy die. You watched Jimmy die. I mean, but Jimmy didn't just die. Jimmy didn't just die. Jimmy pulled the gun and popped two people and then got shot. You know what I mean? Then you watch Jake die. Jake didn't just die. What did Jake do? Jake had a full standoff and like was had a moment where he could have left. Like, and I love that you mentioned the the poem because she's giving this yeah. powerful poem about being a Black Panther and what it means and what it's going to mean for her son to be a Black Panther. What it's going to mean for their child to come in the world be a Black Panther. Well, he had to think about that when he was about to jump over that fence because I'm sure like in his, just his facial expressions. I'll talk about the acting on that one, but just his facial expressions in that moment where it was just like, I, if I run over here, they're going to follow me back to Black Panthers and we're all going to get killed. I'm going to get more people killed or my mom killed or somebody else killed. I need to die right here. This is where this happens. And he just turns around and gets right back into it and starts shooting. I just thought that was like, that was just such a, think he died for the people because he loves the people. Great... He died for the people because he loved people. Like really, he, he was, the only reason wow. he was out there in the first place was to find justice for his friend. He goes out on a pursuit for justice for his friend, and then it just goes south, and he has to make a decision in that moment. Because he had a chance. You saw, he almost got over the fence. He could have jumped and left, 
but he chose consciously to stay there and chose consciously to die there. And I think like he, having him do that, you know, off the right off of a few minutes later of her saying, you talking about you're going to die for the people because you, you don't have to worry about the baby or anything like that. You know, I just thought that was such a great lead up to him making that choice. So like I said, the violence That's throughout the movie was great. Point. But it wasn't gratuitous. I don't think at any point it got like Quentin Tarantino-y where it was just like we're just blowing shit up and like mobbing people for no reason. (laughs) I think all the violence stayed pretty real. And the point you made about Mark uh, Clark, it's just that's – yeah, that's the way they put him in the movie to smile and be this like happy dude and make you feel this warmth in the meeting. Because he was so warm to the rat. He was so warm to the rat. And – and then to take him right after that. I mean, there wasn't really too many moments where I was lost in the movie where I got taken out of it. Um, I will say there was like a couple things that took me out of it, kind of. Like, honestly, at certain points, Bill O'Neill, Bill O'Neill being so obvious was kind of killing it for me. Like, mm, there yeah. was, like Bill O'Neill being such an obvious fucking rat was kind of making it insulting to the Black Panthers almost to me. It was like, oh, there's... They just didn't catch up on this. Like, this guy's obviously a freaking rat, but they're just not going to catch it. That part bothered, kind of bothered me. Um, kind of took me out a little bit, because I'm like, anybody who watched a person act that way would know that they were a rat. <laughs> like, yeah, when he, like, overcompensates in that scene, and he's basically like, I'd every fucking scene. kill him. I'd kill the motherfucker. Like, yeah. I'd fucking kill him. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, and yeah. then, right, when he had the hot wire of the car and that, his, his explanations and stuff, it was like, it was so weak. It was like, anybody's going to think yeah. this fool's a rat. You're damn sure, even if you don't think he's a rat, you're not going to make him the head of your fucking security team, man. That that kind of bothered me. That kind of took me out of it. It was like, <laughs> all right, all right. We're just yeah, going to make this this guy, yeah. So we're going to make this guy we're kind of suspicious of head of security. Didn't really make any sense. So that, that lowered my score a little bit. I'll be real. Um so it's but like 6.234. <laughs> it's, it's a six. It's a six. Oh, nice. Rounding down. It's a six. Only because it didn't... It, other than that, I wasn't at any point in time removed from the film. You know what I mean? At, at no point in time. Yeah. And it, I didn't think it was too long. I didn't think it dragged. I think it was exactly the length of time that it needed to be, that it could hold that kind of violent, sober attention. It was a very sobering movie. You know, you're watching it thinking like, I don't know. You didn't get the vibe from it, from both of the movies, honestly. You don't get the vibe that this is a long time ago. You know, even though it, yeah. it, it yeah. was a significant amount of time ago, you don't get the vibe that it's a long time ago. I mean, with Black Klansman, they intentionally bring it up to right now, but with this movie, it's like it just felt contemporary, and I really enjoyed that. So I'm gonna keep it at a six. Agree at that point, a hundred percent. That's a great point. Layla, so curious about what you. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give it a seven, but I'm gonna talk about very different things. Um, oh, I was hoping I, you would repeat everything we said. Repeat it all. Um, I, <laughs> I loved this movie for very different reasons. Don't so I'll start with like the basics. Like the pacing of this movie is beautiful, and uh, I mean his speeches, and I'll talk about it in acting way more. But like it's just some of the most engaging writing and acting I've ever seen in my life. Is like it I. Or is he literally giving the Just speeches? Speaking. <laughs> I know. I gave, um, I listened to the speeches today. I think that they're so, uh, most of them are like an entirely pulling amalgamation from the real, of, of his yeah. his actual absolutely. speeches. So yeah, but yes, I mean, they're, yeah. 
they're just riveting. so engaging. They're yeah. so riveting. Absolutely. And I and I was in tears watching mm-hmm. him speak. And and aside from him, like, yep. you know, his relationship with um his partner and her, her, all of all of her dialogue, like everything that she says in this movie is undeniably powerful and beautiful and all of the above. But so for me, what was incredibly engaging about this, and I talked about it in originality a little bit, but I think Lakeith's character is insanely intriguing to me. And I found it, it engaged me the whole time. Like if you can help me understand and empathize a person in a position that he's in, you've got me like I love a movie like and it's interesting that you're like I would have rather seen a film about like Fred Hampton and his biopic or whatever etc like I enjoyed watching this person like yes he's a rat absolutely but I enjoyed trying to understand him I thought that was fascinating and I think for me like I think there is this connotation especially around films like this that like people of color during these times of struggle were always a part of the movements or always a part of fighting. And that's just not true. Like there are always people of color that are just trying to survive. And not to say that like, you know, absolutely he's a rat and like all of the above, but he's an interesting take on what it's like to be a person of color at that time. Like they start the movie with him just literally trying every possible way to survive in a very difficult era for black people. And, you know, like you watch him struggling, like you, we talked about this a little bit before we started, but how he looks up to the FBI guy, right. Or like he looks up to his life or what he has. And, you see him throughout the film like striving so hard to attain that same level of security that this man has, like just like safety in his home and like this wealth that he doesn't feel like he can ever acquire. Like it it was fascinating for me to watch that. Any movie that can like make me empathize and learn to understand with a completely separate person's experience from my own is magic to me and I loved I truly truly loved seeing this from his perspective and seeing the perspective of the black struggle through someone else's eyes because I do think a lot of these films come from someone fighting within the movement someone that's in the Black Panther Party or someone that's like a huge figurehead it was nice to see it from a different take and to see someone else's perspective and to see him being manipulated by the system as you said he was a tool of these awful people and he was manipulated by these people and he was a victim of these people manipulating his need to survive and that is insane to me so like all of him and his story and on top of that just these incredibly powerful people in the background giving these speeches like this is a hundred percent a seven for me there was not a moment in this movie that i was not engaged not a single moment if not if not standing up and just crying as i'm watching these things unfold to every single character um just one of i can't recommend this movie more to people it's just one of the most powerful movies i've seen from every perspective in such a long time done <laughs> awesome that's off to you yeah also, i just, I just want to say like yeah it was be- beautiful layla honestly that like again your perspective is just twice now i'm just like oh, okay you're like i want to watch it again that's now good thing like, I just <laughs> she's the best part of this podcast saying it um i'm just like you know for me i'm like i the one thing that just read in my head after you said all that it's like i'm like uh but like the mentor thing i just feel like i didn't get that i just feel like 
if it wasn't for them explaining that in the interview thing, in the like little interview that yeah. they recorded, I wouldn't have gotten that from the movie at all. That they had any type of relationship like that was to that level of like mentorship. I saw envy. Like I want to be yeah. like you, you like the standard yeah. white man in America. Like I yeah. want to be like that. He was um, striving for it, right, and like, right. why not? Right? Oh, like, point. he sees that he and he wants to attain it. Exactly. Until he made it, he was pretending yeah. to be exactly what he ended yeah. up. So, like, the idea that he would keep pretending isn't too far fetched. So, I, I like, I like what you did there. I like what you did there. That was real good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mike, keep talking. Talk, talk to us about your spectacularity rating for Ooh. Black Klansman. Did yeah, it I want to continue. Hear did it keep your attention to the same level of Judas and the Black Messiah? Because I remind you that you gave Judas and the Black Messiah a six. Yeah, um, it kept my attention better than any movie I've ever seen in my life. I that movie. Whoa. I thought we got it. <laughs> every single thing. Every single thing about that movie. Like I said, I think I mentioned it earlier. The scene transitions, using the scenery uh, of Colorado for the scene transitions, to me is not something I just like don't notice. Like that's a very beautiful point. I think that. Starting the movie with one of the most beloved and simultaneously one of the most racist movies that's ever been created in <laughs> Gone with the Wind is probably the smartest thing that a director has done in a long time. I mean, literally, everybody loves Gone with the Wind. I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people do. Super racist movie. Super racist yeah. movie. Absolutely racist movie. Like, let, Antebellum was this great thing. Yeah, Antebellum is freaking slavery, so no. Um, I think that... I think starting it off, like getting, then, then just going. Eliminated one of my points. You just explained it perfectly. All right, great. <laughs> See, that's no need I, to bring that up. I love this, yeah, right? Great. <laughs> but I just, I loved from from starting it off like that to segueing immediately into what the clan would consider the science behind their organization, like that first portion with the doctor, whatever Beauregard that Alec Baldwin portrayed. He he was explaining things that aren't. It's it's. It was, what was interesting was hearing it in theaters and hearing people laugh at how ridiculous it was, right? It's not like, again, it's not like they're laughing because it's so funny. I feel like they were laughing because the guy's saying some stuff that we now as a society find ridiculous. Living, you know, in Southern California, we'd hear that and be like, oh, what? that's crazy. But he was saying, he was like, oh, this scientifically proven that we are a superior race. Like, mm -hmm. and these people are a problem. Like, these these like the black people are the biggest scourge and we have to like do something about it to protect ourselves. I just think like that's literally the science, you know, it, coming from doctors, like a lot of that racism, even we saw in Django, right? He was trying to explain yeah. the skull Yeah, thing. with the skull. Yeah, yeah, he was trying to explain the absence of brain matter in black people. And yeah. that's literally the science that's been used to justify hey, their racism. Hey, don't you dare talk ill of phrenology. <laughs> phrenology. <laughs> Go ahead, no, I'm guys. just kidding. Phrenology is fucking stupid. doesn't make right. any sense. Right, but like it's not the first, it's not the only time in the movie that they mention a doctor. I think toward the end of the movie, uh, David Duke also mentioned Doctor William Shockley, who I mean, a lot of people don't know, but that guy basically issued in the technological era, but he was also super fucking racist. Like, like you know, Silicon Valley is largely owed to that guy, but super fucking racist. Um, and that's Gross. like, and I love, I love that they tie in the movie. I love that they keep that the kind of consistent thing. It's like white, like, yes, we have the one guy in the clan who's this idiot, right? We have one guy in the clan who's this idiot, but that's not what the clan's made of. And I feel like normally when you see movies and you see depictions of the Ku Klux Klan, it's these backwards redneck hicks. And that wasn't what it is. I mean, he said it right off the bat, the Walter, the character, the leader of the clan, we're not a bunch of rednecks. You know, he had political aspirations. He had a plan. You know, he wanted to go to Washington. He had different thoughts. So the clan being portrayed as 
takes all the time doesn't work. And in this movie, they made them real. Like they made them suburban yeah. dudes. With the guy had a suburban dude, a suburban house. He had a beautiful wife to him. I don't think she was beautiful, but you know, oh my he had, god, to him, fuck to him, that wife, had, <laughs> right? To him, he had a beautiful wife, and and it's just I, I just loved everything about that. Um, I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about my favorite part, and I'm sorry, I'm probably going to go on a little long here, but there's about no, six. From from sixteen thirty to twenty six thirty, it's exactly ten minutes of the movie, and I I feel like it's a timestamp for us. <laughs> well, only because I feel like it was very intentional. I feel like this is like a Jordan Peele thing to take ten minutes and really give an entire it experience is. in ten so minutes. Um, I feel like that was a very Jordan That's Peele true. more than it was Spike Lee thing. And he took this oh, ten minutes, and he so he start it starts right when Kwame is getting up to speak. Kwame starts speaking. Kwame gives his speech. You're showing. I mean, in this 10 minutes, in this 10 minute time frame, Kwame gives a speech that covers all of the tropes that we hear from every civil rights leader. He covers every subject. You're beautiful. The police are out to get you. and We got to stop them. I'm not trying to go fight in Vietnamese. They're not my enemies. I mean, he's repeating things that Muhammad Ali said, that uh, Malcolm X said, and that Martin Luther King said. He's literally kind of taking a combination of three major civil rights leaders and speaking on that while simultaneously showing us beautiful black faces. At this, like, close-ups of beautiful black faces. We then segue immediately. I'm talking, this is only 10 minutes. Immediately into, like, this budding romance between Ron and Patrice. And he's like, I'm going to meet you there. And she goes, and she gets sexually assaulted and harassed by the white racist pigs that Kwame was just talking about that we're going to have to arm ourselves against. She goes and gets actually assaulted. I mean, the guy's feeling her up. That's, he's sexually assaulting her. She doesn't go home. She doesn't cry. She doesn't fall apart. She goes to the bar. To meet up with him, shares this information with him, and in the most black, in just in the most black way, like this is what black experience is a lot of times. When you have, you don't get to whine, you don't get to cry, you don't get to be sad. You just get to. You have to keep living. You have to keep moving forward. That's what it is being black in America. You have to keep moving forward, even in the face of crazy adversity like that. So she tells him this story, and he feels for her. He listens to her. He's there for her, and then he takes her to dance. And then for three minutes, an entire song, you get black happiness. Just pure, utter, unadulterated, black, pure happiness. They're just singing, dancing, and, and enjoying each other's company. And the mo- there's not se- nothing sexual about it. There's nothing, anything, there's nothing bad about it. It's just this pure, happy moment that they let the 10 minutes right off into. And then it cuts. And it switches scenes. And I'm like, that, it, it was, ex- I went back and checked. It is exactly 10 minutes. It's like 1630, he starts talking. 2630, the song ends. And I'm like, that is, if that's not a whole total black experience, I mean, if I'm a BSU student, then I just go and I listen to this, this speech, then I go get sexually harassed, then I go dance, and I have to keep moving on my life and being about my revolution. Like, if that's not, like, a testament to the strong black woman, like, ooh, I don't know what is. Like, that was just such a beautiful piece in that moment. Of So that was one of the most spectacular things I've ever experienced in just 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, I felt so seen. I felt so understood. I felt so into the movie. I felt so into what was happening. So I can spend the whole time talking about the movie, but I'll just talk on that. I mean, so I, I, that's an eight that for Mike. Um, it's our first eight. No, that's – oh, my God, you put that in such a great way. I have one more, so you're going to have to let me run my mouth just a little bit more because there's another thing that happens toward the end in terms of spectacularity that is, I, has to be spoken about. And it's, um, and I wrote it down in my notes here so I wouldn't mess this up. <laughs> um, I just think, you know, the scene where um, the elder is in the BSU house giving the story about watching the mm-hmm. murder of Jesse. Oh, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. That scene is happening simultaneously with the scene of the oppressed whites in the country club watching a movie being served by a full staff of black people complaining about how their country's being taken from them, let they're being afforded literally everything. Um, that scene perfectly contrasts. And I just think on one hand, you have the most free people on earth, which is white Americans who are jabbering about racial superiority and their fight to reclaim a country that's been stolen from them. It, and then on the other side, you have the actually oppressed people who are hearing the testimony of a living elder who watched a lynching and he's telling it from his own account, right? And they're sitting there having to think like, dang, okay, that's violence. And it's not long ago because we just got threatened with violence. We just had to stop our march because of violence. And then hearing about the Ku Klux Klan rebirth and everything, I think in just true black fashion, they start chanting the black power. And instead of really giving into grief, despair, and hopelessness from hearing that story, they start saying black power, black power, black power. And I just think hearing that and hearing where that came from, how that comes from oppression, how that came from them trying to feel like they needed dignity. Like it came from them feeling this terrible feeling about Jesse being lynched and having his testicles. It's just terrible stuff. Uh, And we're able to see, I think in this moment, we're able to see that black power is born of a need to reclaim dignity and humanity at times where we are not afforded any. And we are able to see in that same scene, because they start saying white power on the same scene. We're able to see that white power comes from a delusion it comes from a delusion. It's, 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 it comes from an actual sense of superiority. And like, that's not, and so that really contrasted to me with Black Lives Matter a lot because it's black power, black power. It's not about black superiority. Neither is Black Lives Matter. It's never been about black superiority. I think just yeah. hearing that in that sense was just, hearing the immediate comparisons and how both of those groups came to start chanting their power chant was just so illustrative of exactly what happens in America every day. All right, and you that's the podcast, guys. That. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's I don't. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry, uh, I talked a lot. I told you I love this movie. No, movie, <laughs> no I mean that was great. No, that's that's like that's the right no, perspective. That's what we no want to hear. That was incredible. To any of our other guests ever, but that's maybe the best in anything that a guest. Yeah, has incredible. The bar has been set extremely high, that, real uh, high, uh, especially in spectacularity. Uh, I had a Absolutely. point about something you said, like three minutes ago that i'm just gonna forget about now but i'll I'll save it for later because it was a really good point but so was all of that so go ahead layla try and rebut any of that oh jesus okay sorry man. uh that's upsetting <laughs> um okay so obviously ever what did you give it did you give it a i assume you gave seven. it a seven I wrote, okay i wrote an eight i'm just eight? gonna let you give said the most eight. engaging eight. movies ever seen it's ever a hard seen in my entire life absolutely okay that, that's so, the new standard for me <laughs> Everything that you just said, obviously, as beautifully and eloquently as a person can put it, I just thank you for everything. That's you're amazing. Um, So so there's that. Um, I am personally, from my own perspective, (laughs) give this a six. Um, I I have a hard time with Spike Lee a little bit. He's just not my favorite director ever, and I don't love his style a whole lot. And it doesn't really come out in this movie as much as other movies. Upon rewatch, I realized that because I actually really liked this upon rewatch, and I remember really not liking this movie the first time I saw it. But I really liked it after watching it. And there are just some minute things that he does that are... He's just a a little bit overdramatic sometimes for me in some scenes in in the choices he makes. And it pulls me out just the slightest bit. But this film is an incredible... And we've 
talked about it here and there already, but an incredible mixture of just like natural life comedy and drama and the pacing's great. I think I'm definitely going to talk about it more in visuals, but the way they break up the story through the Colorado visuals is great. I think it's a great narrative tool. I love it. Um, I'm, I was really engaged watching it. Super, super engaged. So I'm going <laughs> to... My biggest issue with this movie, and this is this was my biggest issue. It's gonna you guys are gonna think it's so dumb, but it was my biggest issue the first time I watched it. I do not understand, and I still do not understand why he needs to be the voice on the phone and why Adam Driver doesn't just take over the entire character at some point. Because I find it slightly dangerous that they have this other fucking person talking on the phone as this as this one person. And it bothers me while I'm watching this story. I understand that this is probably maybe how it happened in real life. But like maybe in real life, the person that infiltrates the KKK is too dumb to be as smart as he is on the phone with David Duke. But... That's not how Adam Driver plays it in this movie. Adam Driver is quick on his feet. He's smart as hell. He does a great job. And his writing in the film allows for him to be incredibly smart and funny and good and all of the above. So I find it really difficult, really, really difficult because constantly I'm thinking, why does he have to be the person on the phone? If anything, I would have been fine with him being the orchestrator of it all. He was a part of so much of what was going on, but I just don't. Just from a perspective of an investigation, I don't understand how it makes any sense for him to participate in that way. And I think it made it all feel a little bit too dangerous for me because if they had called him at one point and recognized the voice or if they had called him and said, where are you at right now? But they were actually with Adam Driver and he didn't know. I don't know. It was all just a little bit too much for me. And I couldn't stop thinking about it both times that I watched it. So that's the only reason I won't give it a seven. But... Otherwise, it's a great movie. <laughs> that's fair, and, and I do think, I do think that happened in real life. But that's a very good point. That's seriously, that's a good one. That's seriously. I, I do. I agree with it on the the fact that Adam Driver is is not depicted as a dumb person. So it is interesting that he's so quick on his feet, and they and they kept that. Um, I so this is so tough, and like following up from Mike and not giving it a seven is just like a fucking slap in the face to what Mike said. But I do want to reiterate that six out of seven is well above average. It's, it's pretty like, it, it is no, a, it's great a great rating. score. It's also, it's all and subjective. It, I mean, yeah. And, and for me, first time I saw this movie as, as we've said repeatedly, it didn't really work that well. Second time, Holy fuck, is it a great rewatch. It was really fun to watch. I loved all these little moments. I, I love how fun it is. I, I love, like, the way John David Washington interacts with everyone is so fun. He's such a funny person, but he's also just so interesting in everything that he says. I have to say, admittedly, and, you know, I'm a little ashamed of this. I, I think I needed time to appreciate this. And I almost needed what happened in 2020 to appreciate it even more the second time. You know, a second time rewatching it. And I I think there's a lot in this and Spike is just so brilliant in what he inputs in it. And Mike talked about like all these uh, all these scenes that I had written down. Mike, I really encourage you to watch this movie called um, 
it's it's part of the series of movies on Amazon Prime, Small, Small Axe. But yeah. there's one called Lovers Rock. Have you seen it? Uh-uh, haven't seen that. There's a it's oh my so God. that scene in the dance on the dance floor in Black Klansman that you were talking about that is just black love and and it's just a celebration. Oh my God, you have to lives. watch this if you haven't there's, seen this. You it, have it, to watch there this. is a song scene that is very similar to them dancing yes. to Too Late to Turn Back Now, which I love because they're singing it and dancing, and yes. the way you put it is just eloquent. I, I love that. Um, I also think all the all the David Duke phone calls are super funny. I'm laughing my ass off. <laughs> Absolute gold. Um, Absolute gold. I think it's one of the best structured um, Spike Lee movies. I also am not a huge fan personally, but I, I respect everything he's done. He's so unique. Um, but I, if I were – the reason why I'm bringing it down a little bit, there are still things that really like pull me out of this movie. And it's unfortunate because I don't really want to be pulled out. I, I fucking hate that guitar riff that keeps happening throughout the movie. I, I don't – it doesn't bother anyone else. But it, yeah, and it just keeps happening. Like the score is good, but they keep doing that same riff. Oh, God. And it, the other one is like – I – the even, reg- not talking about the David Duke and um, – uh, what's his name? Jerome Turner. Yeah, the not talking about the Jerome Turner and David Duke speech scenes, but the – the last third of the movie just kind of feels rushed. Like everything, and it turns into this thriller, this like crime thriller. And I don't particularly love it. And I'm kind of like, oh, that's where it was leading to. This kind of didn't, it didn't hit me as hard as the first half of the movie. But mm. I will always say that final shot with the burning cross and them and the them on the the it's like a spike uh trademark but them on the little like dolly moving towards it Mm -hmm. it's like one of my favorite final scenes in the last five years i mean i it is is haunting and he brings and this time i appreciated him bringing in charlottesville so that's why it's at a six i still think Mm -hmm. it is so engaging and biopics are rarely as engaging as this is absolutely Awesome. Let's move on to eye candy. Um, and let's, uh, eye candy is pretty obvious. It's how did the movie work for you visually? Um, and let's talk about what the way that the movie looks does for the tone of these two movies and for the pacing of them as well. Um, and of course, any other points that you guys had, cause I'm just here to make sure that we don't run on for two and a half hours. Uh, Layla, go ahead and start and talk about, um, talk about black Klansman. Good luck on the two hours, bro. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Dude, I'm fine. <laughs> says what he said last. Time. Gabe's like, I'm ready for him to just talk for like five I'm hours. Like, I'm like, good luck, bro. I got so much to say. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Uh, Layla, talk about Black Klansman. I can't. Um, por favor. Yeah, I can certainly do that. I gave. I'm just gonna give. I gave both of the movies a five in this category. Um, I I think they both use visuals really, really well. It's definitely above average. I think they both are really well edited films and I love I love that. And I love like for um I love like again, I, I said it before, but like with the shots of Colorado, like pacing the film and like breaking certain things up and moving the story forward, that's like a very it's just a very helpful visual tool in the movie and it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. I love looking at it. Um, it's a gorgeous place to shoot. So no matter what, it's going to be visually stunning. The costumes are really fun in this movie. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just a well done visual film. I don't have too much more to say. I don't think that there's anything like insanely impactful for me visually, 
Um, but I do think it's very well done. And I, the only criticism I think I could have is I don't like love. It took, it took me out of the movie a little bit, like in the scene where he's, um, they're at the Blackstone union speech and you mentioned it before where they show the faces on the black backdrop. I actually kind of don't like that a little bit. I think I love that they're showing the faces and I wish that they had, but I do think they do it a lot in that scene kind of over and over again. And it took me out of that moment a tiny bit. And that's kind of that little bit of Spike Lee dramaticism that I was talking about that I don't love. But like I, if they had just shown the audience's faces within the audience, I think it would have felt really impactful for me. But like, go ahead, Gabe. <laughs> well, I just wanted to jump on. I don't know if you had more to say. I just wanted to jump on that point. Yeah, no, I, you're good. That's pr- that's pretty much it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I had the initial reaction the first time I watched it. I was like, oh, this is Spike Lee, you know, being too <laughs> visual here and over dramatizing it. But then my reaction the second time and and this time especially, and it's and it's exactly what Mike said. The way that he shows those faces is just such a, like, it puts it full force and effect in your face. It's very purposeful. These are unified, absolutely beautiful young black people with so much hope that are listening to the speech and you could see the effect of the speech on them and their heads are floating around and they all, like, are floating at the same, like, height and everything. It all looks the same um, to show some unity. And, you know... I actually kind of like appreciate that now because Spike Lee is pretty well known, at least in his early career, as a visual director. He's he's great yeah. visually. I mean, Do the Right Thing is so interesting oh, yeah. in yeah. the way that it's done. And, and she's all of that, too. Um, we want some black people up uh, on that fucking wall! Sorry. Dude, I, <laughs> I just watched that for the first time. It is very good. I'm um, going that movie, too. <laughs> I, but, like, that movie is so powerful visually. Whereas this movie, I don't think anything is bad visually at all. Yeah. I don't think it is his best visually. So, it, it, like, I almost wanted him to be even more stylized with it. Um, I did I did think, and, and Mike brought this up, but, like, I noticed the editing this time, and it is very fucking good. And this is something I love talking about on this pod. Like, the editing is so great. You can see... Spike Lee is a film student, like he was a film student at NYU. Like you can see the film knowledge. He really cares about film. There's a lot of homage to other stuff. Um, it, it, as we said, the going back and forth between David Duke's speech and Jerome Turner is, is incredible. Um, not only is it not stylized enough for me, I, I have a little bit of issue with the documentary footage that he uses in this only because those Charlottesville moments are undoubtedly you know haunting and they they he ties it to the story it's very important you know you see the burning cross nothing is ever over we haven't fucking changed at all like i mean we have changed but we haven't changed enough (laughs) since then and mike you you made a great point earlier about how like it's really not that long ago but they both feel pretty contemporary and then he ties it together i do feel like just throwing in straight up footage from Charlottesville at the very end of it. It just felt like he was getting a visual emotional reaction from people that I don't think you would have gotten in the movie. And I wonder what the movie would have felt like in the very final scene. If there was no documentary footage, I don't know if it helped it or if it just like it turned it into something it wasn't. 
So I am at a five. I think it's above average, but that's kind of where I was hung up. What's interesting is that he didn't – that wasn't intended from the start. Right, and then it happened while he it was It happened while he was – actually, I think it happened yeah. while they were in post. And so oh, then it's, it's almost literally an afterthought that it's put at the yeah. end. Um, for good for you know for better or for worse it's still important to put it in like you said <laughs> look how excited Mike is uh, and then uh, I'll segue to Mike now <laughs> go Mike yeah. go I'm sorry yeah I am I'm like oh you're talking about one of my okay do it I want alright <laughs> let me I'll start from the back from the end then I'll start at the end of the movie because that's what you are just talking okay. about so I want to stay on stay fresh <laughs> um, I think having dropped indictments of the last administration through the movie and then ending it with the last administration's legacy, essentially being Charlottesville, and like David Duke being a character, the leader of the Ku Klux Klan that you spoke to the whole time, showing him speaking at Charlottesville in praise of the last administration. I just think that was like, I mean, like I know he didn't make that happen, but I'm like, I, I, after getting that that event happens, he's you can't not put that in your movie when you've literally been saying through your movie. That they're going to, that this is what ultimately the Ku Klux Klan wants to do. Ultimately, the Ku Klux Klan doesn't want to be out here burning crosses. Who the fuck wants to be burning crosses? The Ku Klux Klan wants to be judges. The Ku Klux Klan wants to be police officers. The Ku Klux Klan wants to be politicians and it, senators Mike. and presidents. So, and presidents. And he specifically, Sergeant Trapp says that to him. He's like, um, the, he's like the, the, ultimately, that's what they want. They, they know that this isn't going to work. So, ultimately, that's what they want. And then he laughs. I remember Ron Starworth laughs at that idea. He's like, you think that they're going to make somebody like David Duke? the president of the United States. And he goes, that's pretty naive coming from a black man. You need to wake up. Hmm. And I just, I love how that perfectly then ties immediately indicts the last administration with Charlottesville. And I mean, they don't either. I feel like using his actual words, using the words of 45 uh, to speak about like what was happening and like to act, the actual words that he used, he didn't like chop them up. He just was like, that's what he's saying. The same shit that David Duke is saying the same shit. It's the same thing. I just love that 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 brought everything that happened in 1970. It stopped letting it feel like it was in 1970, and it immediately made it feel like shit. When I walk out of this movie theater, that's what life is. Still, for a lot of people, maybe not me, but that's still what life is for a lot of people in a lot of ways. And, and, and people are losing. People, somebody, Heather Heidler, lost her life because of that. So, um, and it, under racist motivation. So I just think that was uh, that was beautiful at the end. Uh, in terms of visuals, I'll go back. Uh, the so you guys were talking about the faces, how they took you out of the movie. I I, I loved the faces, but I've already mentioned that. Um, I had oh, it worked for me, by the way. That yeah. was Layla. It was just uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it makes let's it, make that clear. It, it makes sense. I get why. I get why. Um, I just think for me, <laughs> hearing him talk about beauty and then immediately doing close-ups, because he said, you know, he was like, you don't. He's like, maybe is, is beauty thin hair and a thin nose and because you don't have none of that. And he's talking to black people and he showed up. You don't have none of that. We don't got that. You can see me right now. You don't got it. We, we don't have that. So it was just, I loved the close up and it made it so right now. Um, visually, I'm like looking for, I just wrote something down, man. <laughs> I like literally wrote it down while you're talking. Um, but as far as eye candy, yeah, the, um, the most visually impactful portion of the movie for me uh, the biggest moment visually outside of the Charlottesville scene at the end that is actually film was the the Klansmen target range. They were out at the target range and then it shows yeah. Ron Starworth walk up to discover. Oh, my God. Thank you for saying this. That shot, yeah, that shot. Oh, my God. 
That was absolutely visually. And Chills. Not a word was said. Not a word was said. That's just score and Chills. visuals. Yeah. And incredible. And I know it's the score you don't like while it was happening. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if I had just been watching it and not listening, that is just fucking amazing. It, it was just like, um, oh shit, like that's what they're practicing shooting at. And it was just and for the yeah. you know, it was to see them that they're actively practicing shooting at what they depict as black people was I mean, just right down to like the way they had their lips and their heads and their bellies and everything. It was just mm-hmm. like, it was like, that's how they see us. And that kind of tied for me into that movie, When They See Us, you know, like, cause it's like, that's how they see us. That's how those people see all black people. So yeah. doing something like that didn't like translating that from, I'm just going to shoot, 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 shoot to why not go shoot, blow up some black people. That's not, why not? That's their targets. Why not? I, I, I just loved the visual on that. Um, and then, of course, I love the visual on the explosion of uh, at the end, the tail end explosion. Oh, yeah. I loved that. I love that. That, that was because the, the, the visual of seeing him face on the pavement after he's saved pretty much every life in the movie, like after he's yeah. been the hero the whole time, after he's done everything right, seeing him with his face pressed down by white cops and seeing all of the white racism blow up <laughs> was just like. It was just like perfect because you don't get that. Like you always get the like, oh god, black guy gets his face shoved in the ground, and you always get the racism. But at the same time, you're getting the visual of all the racists who planned the whole thing just blowing to fucking hell. I just loved it. Thought it was fucking gold <laughs> visually. Uh, so that's. Are you at a seven? I think, yeah, yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah. It's a sevens all around. Yeah, sevens all around. Yeah. Yeah, I literally, and here's the thing. I watched it last night with the intention of trying to lower my scores because I knew I was going to come in here with sevens. Never. I was like, like, they can't, like, I was like, "Ah, come on, you got to have some nuance. I've heard these shows before. I feel feel like your reasons for giving these all sevens are a lot better than Jimmy's reasons for giving giving Shutter Island all sevens. Shutter Island all sevens? (laughs) Well, that movie, they're they're both great. (laughs) So, yeah, that's... And then, of course, my bad, one more thing. The visuals... The visuals of the pictures, the fact that they showed um, the pictures of Jesse after he had been lynched, the fact that they zoomed in on those pictures, yeah. and as he was saying, like, oh, those were sent out as postcards, and that's real. That's real. That's not even, like, a rare thing that happened. In the South, and Antebellum, they would oftentimes take pictures of lynching and use them as postcards or invitations and stuff like that. They would put them in books, and they would celebrate them almost, so... Having that piece of history thrown on there visually and the visual impact of those images was like horrifying. Um, so, seven. I'm done. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about Judas and the Black Messiah. Well, uh, we'll start with Gabe. Uh, so, and I don't mean to make the, like, I am not coming from a biased point of like, I like Judas and the Black Messiah more than Black Klansmen. I, uh, just there's something about the visuals that came out to me this time watching same same with black Klansman, but um i fucking love the way this is filmed on just a technical level i think that there are better images that spike lee puts in and, and ones that i didn't even notice that mike brought up or i i noticed but i didn't really notice the like effect of them but the like how smooth this movie is filmed really stood out to me Shaka King is kind of a new director. He had made this really small, like, movie called Newlyweeds before this. And, I mean, just the opening scene 
of how the camera's following Lakeith Stanfield and, like, goes around him outside the bar and then back and forth. Like, the camera is constantly moving with the characters. It's so... It's so... um, smooth to me another one thing i noticed this time the way he chooses to focus and film the car or the two cars i guess the car is such a like character in this movie because it like the way it shows bill getting into the first car and then when it when it shows him how happy he is when he has that car driving around town and then it films around them when they go to the pool hall and you get the reflection of the pool hall that he's like terrified to go into on the glass I, I love that, but the car scenes like visualize exactly the type of like specific luxury that Bill wants. That he's willing to almost sell wow. his soul and use deceit with these people that are actually treating him like family. He, the car is almost enough for him, you know. Wow. And there's and there's such a focus on that. Um, I think uh, the camera also in this movie gives a lot of characters a lot of power. Or it it shows a lot of their emotions. The camera is never afraid to get super close. Sometimes their foreheads are completely like chopped off from it because it wants to get as close as possible to see their emotions, and that really helps for a movie with such powerful acting. But the handheld, they're like handheld panning around Fred Hampton whenever he's about to give a speech or he's walking around the bar and talking to people. That just shows how powerful of a presence he was in any room that he walked into and why the FBI would be so afraid of him, not just from the speeches Mm -hmm. he was saying, but like the effect that he had visually. I think that they really get that. There's really cool shots of people from behind. Um, It's something that Darren Aronofsky does. Like if you've seen the movie, the wrestler, like black Swan, he like focuses on their shoulders from behind and you get that in that scene when Fred is like walking up the stairs into the church and they're all chanting for him. Um, also, the the documentary footage in this, I think what Mike said about the – you could just erase everything that I said about the Charlottesville footage because, like, you you, you perfectly explained that point for me. Um, this one, you know, it also uses documentary footage. I think it's a little more subtle, um, it, it, and it doesn't really have to do as much. You know, it, it's not uh, – there's not a whole lot focused on it. But there are little – the snippets at the beginning are not like here's the exact history and stuff. It, here's exactly what these things are. It's like it's like little snippets of history all together, um, and they're beautifully orchestrated. Um, and it's really cool how they do the eyes of the prize too. They like show Lakeith Stanfield doing it, and then they show the actual Bill O'Neill doing it. As, and there's like almost no change in it. It feels like the same exact interview. Um, so I thought visually it was really. I, I'm still at a six. I'm not like a, at a seven for it, but um, yeah. I think Shaka King is going to have an incredible career if he makes movies that look this good. Go ahead, Mike, and then Layla. <clears throat> I agree with you about Shaka King for sure. Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, I would love to see him take on some other things like this. Um, yeah, visual. We're on eye candy, right? I, yeah. Eye yeah. candy, mm-hmm. Judas. I get distracted easily. I was just so. I was really listening to you. Like I was like, wait. <laughs> you were telling me like the, ca- the car is a character take right now, man. That. Blowing wow. his mind. Like seriously, that's a really good. <laughs> I just good noticed it this bang time. Bang? It, yeah, what? that's a really good take. Honestly, um, thanks. I think for me, visually, um, this movie does a lot of good things. I mean, I think, um, like, like you'd said, the, uh, the kind of like 
well, we talked about earlier, he's faking it till he makes it. I think just his uniform when he first starts off, when he's like in this like pseudo, what he thinks an FBI agent dresses like with yeah. the stupid like Carmen the San Dick Diego Tracy hat. Thing, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, like, I think that was, that was kind of cool. Um, and I just, visually nothing to me got too like, I wasn't really like snap by like really any individual, like, I don't know. Not not too much of, not too much got me, um, super thrilled visually. Uh, it was very good. I mean, it was very good, very well edited, very well done. I I can't really, as I'm thinking back about it, and as I you know I've watched it earlier, um, I just was like, there's nothing on the screen that's jumping out at me, other than of course you know, but that's more acting. See, I was gonna say, <laughs> Fred Hampton. Um, <laughs> I wasn't here alone with that. I I think I saw reviews that were kind of the same way. I don't know what how it jumped out for me. Yeah, there's nothing, not really much that really popped out for me personally. So I don't really got much to say on this one. I will say, visually, what you were saying about the interview scene um, and like the. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, no, I don't really got nothing to say about it, to be honest with you, because I'm like, not really, because the interview scene kind of bothered me in a way. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah. That you would have rather it just be the documentary or just or, uh, Lake Keith Stanfield. Yeah. 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 I, the, the switch kind of messed me up. It's like, are you trying to just show us that you did good look casting or good makeup? Like, because it's like, kind of like, because you did. You did. Yeah, you looked a lot like the guy for some reason. You know, it just, it kind of felt like he looked like the guy. But, um, even from like the shootouts and stuff, I don't know. There was I, like, what's your score? I think that's fair. I'm gonna say four. Four. Okay. Layla, bring it home. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a five point five. Okay. Um, I, yes. I think that's it's amazing. like an underestimated thing how much visuals can play into such an emotionally driven film like this, and I think that like. There are just these incredibly intimate shots of people in this movie that add so much of the emotion to the moments and the speeches and how they film a person when they're speaking and the monologues that happen or the intimate moments between him and his partner. And, you know, it's it's it truly is a tool of adding emotion to a film. And I do think that if the way that you portray a person in a scene isn't done right the emotions might not carry as well as it might have been in the moment when they were acting like i think the way that you shoot them pulls that out and it creates um an environment for the viewer and i think that that's incredibly well done in this movie and i think the reason i was just so emotional the whole time i was watching it is in huge part because of the way that they shot it um and i think Shock is just an incredible director, and I'm so excited for all the work that's going to come because this was just unbelievably powerful. Every aspect of this film just moved me like to my core. I felt it deep down, and I'm very excited to talk about acting, but I do think um, it gets forgotten how much visuals play into an actor's performance and how someone being portrayed in a moment is affected by the visuals. And I think this movie is a great example of that. So I do think it's above Agreed. average because of that. Absolutely. Nice. C- continue to What's talk next? about Judas and the Black Messiah, if you will, Layla. But talk about okay. actoring, which is a category of oh. uh, talking about acting <laughs> and directing and writing. Just like all of it, you know. Talk about that. Yeah. And I oh think one of, the things you, you, one of the things you guys wrote, at least in my text, was also like like did the director or writers help or hurt those yes. performances, right? 
Yeah. Did they give them the tools yeah, they needed yeah. in order to give the performances that they did? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll give it, I'm so, I think I'm going to give it a seven. <laughs> I just, I think the yes. performances in this movie are unreal. I just, Daniel Kaluuya is just one of the greatest actors of his generation. He, and, and on the flip side, Lakeith, Lakeith is just as incredible. Like what he does in this movie is nuanced and important and beautiful. And it's, it's like, it's so subtle too. Like Daniel has like these huge speeches, right? He has these really big moments that like, he had a lot of, a lot to work with. Lakeith is supposed to, you're supposed to like detest him in a lot of ways. And then at the same time you have to empathize with him and he does all of it. And it's just, it's so nuanced. Both of them are incredible. I think Daniel said it best. Um, I'm sure you guys maybe know like Charlemagne's uh, radio show. Uh, Charlemagne and Lakeith like got into it after this movie came out. And it was like this whole big deal because Charlemagne was like, he played that role too well. Um, but Daniel said it so beautifully when he defended him. He just was like, he's the other part of me in that movie. He's that like light with the dark and he's an important, he does such a good job of portraying a completely other side of this life that we all live and like his experience and all of the above. It just, they both are so important to this movie and they both do such a stellar job in their own ways and then everyone around them does an amazing job as well. His partner, she is unreal. When she gives, when she says yeah. that, like that poem in that moment, I've, I was sobbing. Like I just, I, I felt everything that she was saying in my core. The performances in this movie are incredible. The writing around the characters is incredible. The pacing that allows for them to do what they do is incredible. I don't have a bad thing to say, so I'm gonna give it a seven. I mean, you you make a really great point too, and like if yeah. like about the about Daniel Kaluuya giving this performance, it's like huge because Fred Hampton is huge, and yeah. like Keith Stanfield, you maybe don't get the credit that he's that he deserves, but if you think about it, which one is like if you're if you're one of them and you get put you know, you consider them two sides of a coin. Are most people going to end up being the Lakeith Stanfield in that situation? Are you going to choose that route? Or are you going to choose to be like, how many people out there are going to choose, are going to be the revolutionary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not very many. Yeah. They're going to yeah. be the rat. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it's a pretty believable <laughs> performance. Wow. Yeah. Nick, yeah. that's a great point. Yes. Nick. Nick. Nick, I mean it's true. You, it's Nick. true, dude. Nick. I listen. I listen to Fred Hampton all day long, dude. No one can be that guy. So you're fucking fired up right now, aren't you? That guy. There, no one can be. Th- no one can go, be that. You trying to go guy. protest this weekend or what? Let's go. I'm just no. gonna rage all weekend and just listen to Fred Hampton. I am going to listen to those albums. Get hype can I, slash can I hop on uh, become... that point, Nick? Yes, go ahead. Um, and I, I agree with – I mean, it, I just can't imagine, you know, not giving it a seven just just purely out of Kaluuya and uh, Stanfield's performances. But, you know, there's a, there's a really cool sequence with – I think Kaluuya is incredible on every single level. And I don't the, – the scene where you see him speak in the church is like – 
Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood. Yep level acting it's yep. it's fucking insane. incredible like it's something i it, it, it is hitherto i'm dreamt of leonardo yeah. and Candyland. Uh, you know what i'm saying like yes that level in that level and then there's this <laughs> there's this amazing sequence in this movie where you get his entire range and it's so i you get him giving a fiery speech in the street when they're having that little like protest in the street and then he's immediately the next scene he's immediately gentle and cuddly with uh, Deborah in their bed. And then the next scene, he's getting taken to jail over this bullshit ice cream charge. And he is not, he is acting as stoic as possible. It's not the loud, fiery speech. It's not the gentle, cuddly nature of him. It's, I need to look like a leader. I need to not lash out. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do this. And, and the fact that he could do all those range, I mean, we're in the midst of watching one of the all time greats. I, I can feel it. And, and each role, I mean, like when I saw him in Widows, I was like, I, I can't believe he wasn't in like a million movies before this. And <laughs> it's great. I will say, I mean, with like Keith Stanfield, because I, I'm really interested in what Mike's going to say, because we had this uh, conversation a couple days ago. But I, I agree with Layla. I think what he has to do is a lot harder I- I- in such a different way. Yeah. And you can really see like the way he's like a chameleon. And you see in the oh opening God, yeah. shot, he's like, when he's outside the bar, he's like practicing lines essentially and like moving his shoulders and like getting himself ready for it. And then you see him like filled with joy, like when he gets away from those guys. And then bam, he's bloody in the interrogation room. You could see just absolute pain in his eyes. Just he has to be a bunch of different pain. people. Yeah, he has to yeah. take yeah, on a lot says, of emotions. Yeah, the way he delivers the line that the badge is scarier than the gun, mm-hmm. like. He just, he has to exemplify so fucking much emotion in this too, but it has to be contained. Daniel Kaluuya can let it out. Like, yeah, totally. He has to keep it at bay the whole time. And you see him like agent Mitchell is saying these little microaggressions to him throughout the movie. Constantly. And he just has to ignore it. And you could see it's all in the eyes. So when you watch that little clip of Bill O'Neill in that interview, I mean, Lakeith Stanfield like nailed the eye movements, like the way he avoids the co- the eye contact. It's great. Um, I gotta say, I b- because he hasn't been mentioned. Jesse Plemons. Th- there couldn't have been a better casting for the role of Agent Mitchell, even though he's supposed to be a lot older. He just also embodies a great fucking that actor. Per- <laughs> he is, yeah, he's incredible. But he, the way he toes the line between nice and mean, and how his face I presents know. that, and that's just how his face is. It's perfect for who Mitchell is. So creepy. And you get the moment like he is genuinely fucking scared of J. Edgar Hoover. And, and he, but he knows it's self-preservation for him. He wants to succeed. He will not go against it. And he has that fear of a black person coming into his life with, uh, through his daughter. And like the way he changes his emotions and then in the next scene he just becomes so serious when he sees bill you know bill comes in and he's like roy my boy and then he like gets so serious and he's like i have to look like the older tough guy in the scene i have to show him like who's boss like it's fucking great acting and then i mean amazing side performances i think from everyone i we we talked a lot about jake earlier and and uh I, I think, uh, like, Ashton Sanders, the way, if you see his career since Moonlight, he is 
he is so fucking cool. Incredible. He's doing so many different roles. He's just he's really great, and and he do, he's not even like front and center in this movie, so it's great. So I give it a seven. Um, and what was, what was and, and I'm I'm curious what um, seven so say, seven from Layla, seven from Gabe. I do want to say really quick, Gabe, uh, what you said about Jesse Plemons makes the Keith Stanfield's character even better. Yeah, because he's able to play off of. You're able to see how you could. Why you would choose to be the rat rather than the revolutionary. Because yep. that's the way the system's set up. That's the way that you're being pigeonholed all the time mm-hmm. is, to, is to take the, the path of least resistance, which is to, to just keep the Absolutely. status quo and make sure the status quo continues to keep itself going. Because it's easier, um, which, yeah. you know, go ahead, Mike. It's also just safer. But yeah. It's safer. Yeah, and Jesse Clemens <laughs> makes it very clear that this is going to be much safer for you. This is the same. You, you want the you <laughs> yeah, want the nice scotch in the cupboard, or right. do you want to go to jail exactly. and be beaten? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. All right. Shit. <laughs> Mike's like little smirks during it. <laughs> I'm really, sorry. I'm we sorry. have to release this whole video. I'm sorry. I just I, I was like, listen. Oh shit! Yeah, you're gonna release the video. I didn't think about that. Oh, yeah. I'm making faces. Um, oh, yeah. I it's can't great. stop it. I'm a facial expression nut, and so am I. A face guy. <laughs> You know what? And on that point, I'll shift right into what I have to say about acting. Facial expressions. I'll tell you, uh, this was one of one. There's one. I loved everybody. I loved most of the people in the movie. There was one performance that kind of continually pulled me out because the face really didn't change enough. And I feel like I'm going to get flack for this one. But I think that um, Dominique Fishback just kind of kept the same face for like the first 30 minutes of the movie. Like she basically just had the same. I want to fuck Fred Hampton. And like that's like I that mean was like, that was like her face the whole time, and it was just like fair I mean, enough I, though. I get it, I get it, I get it. But it's like, come, you're a revolutionary. You're here because you're a revolutionary. She's, I mean, she right now living is still raised a son that is a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. She's a very active activist right now, yep. and so it's like I have I, I have one start- thing, one thing to say to that, and then I'm gonna let you keep going. I felt from her face as a woman. That she was basically being like, Fred, honey, there's more. You have more and you have more potential. Because even after he speaks the first time, she calls him out a little bit as well. Like she's she's constantly challenging him. And all I felt from her facial expressions were always just like her analyzing him and just being like, I expect more at all times. I See, I felt like I was getting that from the writing and the words she was saying, but from not mm. from her face. Not her from face, her facial expression. <laughs> no, her face was just literally dead ass the whole time. And like, even <laughs> even at the end, even at the end, when he's getting, when they walk in and murder him, her face really didn't change. And I'm like, uh, okay, but like your face should change. So that part, that's the only super harsh criticism I have is just her facial <laughs> I wasn't getting any facial expressions from her, as a, like an act, and like like from Kalua, Kalua. I, I like what like everything his face did from the first time you saw him lean with that like sister, yes. like so good with from, the hat with the little bucket hat. Yes, from the first time you saw him lean, you're like, <laughs> look at his face. Like you just believe him. You just believe whoever this guy is a bad motherfucker. Whoever that guy is is a bad motherfucker. Like and you know it. And I didn't get that sense. I mean, not getting that simple. I just didn't get. In. And then Lakeith, like you said, he's wearing pain on his. He goes from ha, ha, I'm stoked to wearing pain to like his face does change. And you've you've up my score for Lakeith too because I was a little. I was like he he's a little fidgety for me. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's just a little too like 
He's a little bit know. of a spaz, Doing for much. sure. Yeah, a little bit extra spazzy, and I get why it happened for his character, but like not so, not to the extent that it was. But mm-hmm. honestly, what you're pointing out about his faces, and even in my watching it before I got on with you guys, I'm like, shit, nah, he's better than I was giving him credit for the first time. Like he's he's definitely, and like what's like what you're saying, he's got a lot to, to do as an actor. He's got a lot to do. Yeah. He's got a, he's got his fucking work cut out for him with the role that he had. Um, yeah. So and then. I'm sorry, bro. I, Jesse Plymouth did not do it for me as a FBI guy, bro. <laughs> oh, dude. Jesse Don't Pl- talk about Jesse Plymouth. I'm sorry. Way. He did not do it for me as the FBI guy, bro. He did not do it for me. I'm like, I I, I, I don't know. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, on the other hand, holy shit. That was a scary-ass yeah, fucking Martin J. Edgar G. Hoover. That was a fucking absolutely intimidating J. Edgar Hoover. Like, that's the one that you're like, shit, this guy, this guy was in power? Like... Holy shit, um, like that's fucking imp- terrifying. Like, he empowered and, and did a lot of damage to this yeah, country. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just so like we still see. You could like the sinisterness that he was wearing. He just kind of was like a like a really old school like villain. You know, he had that real old school like comic book almost like villain. It's like he's just so bad. And like I I, I don't know. Like, I loved his performance in that. And like you said, Ashton Sanders. Whew! Like, just really went into being Jimmy Palmer. All the way up from, you get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Like, his facial yeah. expressions when he was about to pull out that gun was just so like, nah, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm about to die right now, and I don't give a fuck. That shit was so real in his face. And I keep going to face, because that's like a huge deal for me. But like, his face gave it. And then the same thing with Algie Smith. I brought it up earlier when he's about, so to, go, good. When he's about to go over the fence. His face tells you that he's making all those decisions and he's considering all that. His face, I didn't, there's no words that make him think, oh, I'm, if I take this, I'm going to go back to my, they're going to follow me to my Black Panther office. They're going to follow me to my mom. I'm so worried. I sh- I'd be better off dying here. He didn't say any of that. He just wears it right there on his face. And you could get all of that from just looking at him. And even when you're looking at him while he's standing over the police officer that he's about to murder, it's just like, he just, he's about to go there, you know, and he's about to go there and he knows this is how I'm going. I, I'm going to die a revolutionary's death. I just thought that was so, his face is so good. Algie Smith, both Ashton Sanders. So I try to do right now like an average of everybody. Yeah. So I, I I put out all my favorite, all the best roles in there and then I gave them all numbers and then I had to do an average Look of them. Look at you go. Oh, that's a pretty smart idea. Um, So, you know, Daniel, seven. Lakeith Stanfield got a five for me. Uh, oh. Dominique Fishback got a three from me. Uh, Algie Smith got a six from me. Austin Sanders got a six from me. Martin Sheen got a six from me. Um, so, and and unfortunately, Jesse Plymouth got a Don't two. Don't you dare give me a two. Oh, my God. Okay, the, I, I have to say, though, with that system that you just used, some actors in a movie carry way more weight than other actors in That's a true. movie. Absolutely. So, like, That's true. So, they, so it should be like a 14 for Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> like a... Uh, Don't you dare give me a for... decimal here, man. He he did so. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he did so much in the movie. He so, just uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, so yeah, I'm a walk. That one for me, acting wise, gets because only because of Daniel Kaluuya gets a six. All okay, right. <laughs> that's, dude, that's a fucking great score. I'm I'm glad he brought that up. Uh, let's he, talk about if, if it wasn't for him being as good as he was, it would have literally been like a four for me because it was not anything special in the movie to me other than his performance and some of the facial expressions from Ashton and Algie Smith. All right, and Martin yeah. Sheen. My bad. Oh, I met Martin, Martin Sheen once. God, he I did. love Martin. He's old. He's old. He's just all like an old man. Did yeah. he say what's up? Very cute old man. Hmm. What did you say? What's up? Old man. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he was like, hi. And I was like, hey. And I shook his nice, hand. Nice, dude. Gabe, talk about Black Klansman. An actor in Yeah. Um, shit, we haven't even gotten there yet. This is just an absolute... This is an amazing cast. I mean, he he couldn't have gotten a better cast for this. I, I love it. Uh, I think it, it really fits the tone he was going for. Even the crazy wife that we were talking about, like, she's so good at that type of role. She does the same type of thing in Mr. Robot. She's, like, very fucking That's evil great. in Mr. Robot. Um, but he got Harry Belafonte to be in this movie as Jerome T- Turner. Like, Harry Belafonte, the guy who did the fucking songs for Beetlejuice. And this is an incredible singer. He... It, it's it's incredible what who we got into this Alec Baldwin I just like completely forget he's in it and he's so great in the beginning. Um, this is like John David Washington walking into Hollywood and just saying, "Hey, I'm here. Like I'm gonna be a big fucking deal for a while. I'm gonna be a huge star. Absolutely. And you could just feel it. He has such a like such a high amount of energy in every scene i love that he fucking does like karate whenever like he's like mad or like someone does something in the scenes i think he's just so fucking like the voice affectation he does is so fun um he does conflicted faces really well too you can see a lot of emotions in him that i didn't maybe notice the first time because i just wasn't well aware of him Uh, i didn't really i watched a little bit of ballers but um this is kind of it for me. And, and you can see now he's one of the most bankable stars. Like he's going to be, he was in Tenet and he's, he's going to be in a lot of stuff um, just solely because of how great he was in this. And he was nominated for it. Um, I love Adam driver. I'm a very big Adam driver fan. Uh, it, we've only talked about Hard him not in to Star be, Wars movies on this. <laughs> yeah, he is. His subtle acting in this is just so great. Like, I just love the way he delivers lines, the way he walks around. It's, it's uh, fantastic. Steve Buscemi's brother, why the fuck has he not been in he's so, so many good. more movies? So he's so great in this. 100% agree. And he's a, he is like an idea. They got to play twins in something. I didn't, I didn't realize it was him. I, I was sitting there thinking like, this guy reminds me of that guy from fucking, uh, the, you know, the Adam Sandler movie. And I'm like, <laughs> oh man, I, I hate that that is who like, Steve Buscemi is. I'm like, what the fuck, bro? Like, and then it's fucking him. <laughs> I know. It, they look and sound exactly the same. Um... I like I again I the casting is fine for me like I the the KKK members are fucking hilarious and like Topher Grace is hilarious as David Duke like and it, and I and I didn't mean to like say that earlier that the humor is not like warranted I actually like these people are fucking funny when you look at them because they're just they're so comedically awful you know there's something so silly about how fucking dumb and evil they are um and and i love the the cast for that like paul walter hauser is a huge actor now um the guy who's always like super drunk and dumb uh in their group yeah. it's great so i gave it a six yeah 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 <laughs> I, I gave it a six out of seven i i'm not like fully i think john david washington has already shown he could do even more and it's same with adam driver so it's not the best performances i've seen from them that's the only reason why i'd give it a six but um just a an amazing cast i agree with you on that one man I think. Um, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know John David Washington can't say enough about him. Um, and I mean, I, one of the points that I, you know, you guys had sent was about you know, the director and the writing helping bringing out the best of the actor. I've I, I don't know Laura Harrier from anything other than Spider Man, like popping in Spider Man and then being replaced. Well, by Well, she's day, really basically. done. Like, like yeah. I, 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 I don't really know. 
but holy shit, it was like, what? You're you're a really good actress. Like, who the fuck is this person? <laughs> like, you just took, like, somebody from basic obscurity, honestly. Like, she was essentially, who is Laura Harrier? Like, what has she been in to play Patrice, you know, to play your ingenue in your film? I'm just like, that's a huge leap to be a, a you know, an ingenue right away. And for her to do that well, I think, was really incredible. And that just speaks to the script and the director, I think. Um, uh, Adam Driver, shit, man, like you said, he... His, the way he's able to harness the ability, like, he has to say increasingly more terrible things in order to fit in with these people. Yeah. You know, yeah. he has to say increasingly more disgusting things. Up to, he gets to the most disgusting thing that he says in the whole movie where he's like, not until she gets her lips around my dick. And you're just like, ugh! <laughs> like, yeah. You're just like, ugh! Wow. Like, as soon as he says that, you're just like, ugh! Fuck you, dude! I hate you for saying that! Like, that was so <laughs> gross! <laughs> like, but he just delivers it with such conviction, and it's just so, like, I, I don't. This is perfect. I've never even, again, I've only seen Topher Grace's Eric and Venom, so I can strongly say that this is the best role I've ever seen Topher Grace in. Um, this is I've Topher never... Grace's best role because Topher Grace is a garbage person. Otherwise, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. This is, this is Topher Grace's best performance because, like I said, I've only seen him as Eric in the '70s show and as Venom, which was god awful. So, you know, uh, that's great. And then. the the guy who plays the I think one of the most slept on roles in the movie is the guy who plays Felix, like the really intense so uh, racist. Oh my god! Like that him and his uh, relationship with um, what you what you call it Ashley Atkinson. Ashley Atkinson, like the actress that you, she was in that other she plays evil and oh yeah, I don't know her name. Wife. She's yeah, she's great. Uh, yeah, Ashley Atkinson. Her, their chemistry from that bed scene from the moment they're sitting in the bed and like it, I just love what they do and she's able to take the character and really, really, really make you hate her. Even though like normally what happens when you're seeing movies like this is the white woman's either the savior or like the sympathizer, right? The white woman's either like the savior or the sympathizer at some point in time. And she comes along and is not just okay with what he's doing. She's desperately complicit to it. Like she really wants to be a part of every element of it. She's like, please. And like, she's thanking him. Thank you for giving me purpose. Thank you for making me part of your life. And as she's delivering those lines, I'm just like, Ugh! Like, it just makes you hate her so yeah. much and it just it makes it like no white these racist kkk guys didn't just do this on their own they did it with support of their wives with support of their families with support yeah. of their mothers with support of the women in their lives and she really portrayed that i think perfectly i i don't even have another word for she's perfect she was one of the most perfect roles in the movie i think um but like really low-key and like you said, Harry Belafonte did he, the way he delivered his speech as Jerome Turner was like, holy shit, bro. It's like you would think you were in the game all the time to just hop into the game and run this type of monologue. You know what I mean? Like, I know. I don't even know if he acted that much before that. But yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. And so for him to just hop in and I don't know, I, I just thought every single role was perfect. Kwame Tori, Corey Hawkins. Oh, yeah. Was Corey able Hawkins. To capture, was able to capture all of the angst of like three different like literally three different civil rights leaders and just was like bringing you that like he was a legendary civil rights leader even if nobody who watched that movie knew who Cormac Torrey was before they watched that yeah. movie almost nobody yeah. but like you watch that and you're like oh shit Cormac Torrey was an important motherfucker like he must have been like he had some real power behind him so every role nailed it I think again sorry seven Dude, that's all fine right. <laughs> Layla um okay i'm I'm gonna give it a six but i do disagree with you on a couple of the points that you just made um 
I'm going to start with the things that I love. I think, I think John David is an incredible physical actor. His mm-hmm. physical acting is insane to me. Like his body movements, the way he carries himself in a scene is just, I couldn't stop watching him. Even if he was in the background of a moment or if he wasn't the one speaking, he just carries himself so amazingly when he walks in (laughs) when he walks into the station after everything's over and done he's got his head up i just started cracking up like i couldn't stop laughing he's just a great he's just he's incredible and i 100 percent slept on him the first time i watched this movie so i am so happy this podcast forced me to rewatch because he is (laughs) incredible in this movie unreal incredible yeah (laughs) um I, I love Adam Driver in this movie. I think he he carries himself so well. I do have to say, I think that the writing f- like failed his character a tiny bit in this movie. There was like this one conversation that happens where he addresses his um his 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 uh why am I like forgetting the word um how his like ability to appear as white like masks anything he's ever felt about being Passing. Jewish. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know why that wasn't coming, but he like he had a small moment about it where he says just like a couple of lines where he's like, I've never really acknowledged this before because of like not having grown up within this culture or whatever. And um, I wanted more of that. Like, I just I like I kind of missed that from his character. Like, he just was so much there to be this background person. And I know that and that's important. But I think that like what he like acknowledged was a very important thing and i think they could have dived into his character a tiny bit more and i would have thought his performance was a little bit more important because of that mm-hmm. um i very much disagree about laura i did not like laura in this movie at all um i don't think her and john have any chemistry and i did not believe their relationship at all because of that um but that's just personal taste i just she's she's fine i have no like real criticism criticisms i think she does what she can with what she was given, but I just didn't really believe it that much. I think she is a kind of unseasoned actress a little bit. All she had done before this was Spider-Man. And I didn't think that she, I think there are actresses. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, uh, um, I just think that there are actresses who could have brought a little bit more to it, but that's just my personal take on her. Um, and then the wife, like, I think the wife is, such an important role as you said you said it perfectly Mm -hmm. she is incredibly important because white women in this country need to be acknowledged for their complicit nature and active role in racism in america uh she annoyed the shit out of me in this movie and not necessarily because (laughs) it was like the right kind of annoying because like there's karens out in the world who are just fucking obscene but like that there's i can't forget like the the scene where it goes back and forth between the older black man speaking and then them watching this racist ass motherfucking movie. Um, and she's just screaming the whole time. The ingenuity of white women. <laughs> she screams that in the middle of the movie. She screams that in the middle of the movie. She does. She does. No, she totally does. I there. There's like a, she takes some moments a little bit too far for me. Like she, like I couldn't even like enjoy that moment at certain parts. Cause it's such a beautiful moment when they go back and forth. But like, she just kind of kept fucking screaming a little bit too much. Like if she had thrown out great lines like that here and there, I think it would have been great, but I think she takes it a little over the top or at least the writing does of her character. Um, but uh, overall, those are just like minor criticisms. Overall, this is an incredibly 
insane cast. I think Topher Grace is scary good at playing David Duke, <laughs> and yeah. it's From an incredible tell, performance. He, he spent a long time making sure he nailed that. Yeah, and then, and I then mean, David it's Duke just, called and was like, "I, I feel like there's I, something I, about Topher Grace that I don't know." But okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, David Duke um, thought the performance was uh, was too clownish, and uh, I'd like David Duke to look in the mirror a few more times. Speaking of, I actually kind of think, unfortunately, Topher Grace kind of looks like David Duke a little bit. So I think it's a great casting in a lot of ways. I'm I'm sorry, Topher Grace. Uh, Anyways, I think it's a great cast. It's a great ensemble cast. Um, I think they got nominated for ensemble cast at one or two of the award shows at at its year as well. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely a six. It's a great cast. Uh, Harry Belafonte has not been in very much. Uh, he was, uh, however, uh, last in a movie before this in 2006. And then seven years before that, he played a character called Ice Moose in a TV series called PB&J Otter, which I believe is a cartoon. And you fucking know I'll be watching that. Yep. PB&J Otter? Uh, that shows that show slap. Sick. Did it slap? Because yeah. he plays a character called Ice Moose, and that's 100% my new nickname. Thanks, everybody. Uh, let's talk up, about... Ice Moose? <laughs> Thanks, dude. It sounds baller. Thank you. PB&J Otter, you noodle. Use your noodle. Noodle. Do the noodle oh, dance. That's PB&J Otter. Yes, that's PB&J Otter, bro. Uh, Layla, <laughs> Layla, can you continue? But talk about the lasting legacy of Judas and the Black Messiah. Oof. Okay. Um, I think it's an immensely powerful film. I think it's gonna have a. I think it's gonna have a great legacy overall. It is. I'm pretty sure Daniel is gonna win best supporting actor for this movie at the Oscars. I mean, he's already yeah, won multiple awards. Yeah, it'll be interesting awards. if they do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they're leading up to it. He has won at every award show so far, the, every major one that's happened. And he's, his speeches are magnificent. I love Daniel Kaluuya. I could watch him speak in an interview for hours. He is oh a God. hilarious human on higher being. Learn- what he says on Higher Learning, Van Lathan's podcast, is so fucking great. I'm going to make everyone watch that. Yeah, he's so smart. He's so intelligent. I He was so funny. I don't remember. I think it was the Globes. They started to like cut him off because it wasn't working, his Zoom or whatever. And he just was like, don't do that. Don't like fuck me over like that. He was so funny. Like he's just he's the best. Anyways, um, I think he's going to win an Oscar for this movie. I think this movie is going to be poignant oh over time. I think it's always going to be an important movie. I think originality also ties into this as far as if it needed to be made. I think it's maybe going to pave the way for more stories of different, you know, different black people and their experiences. Maybe not always the like leader of the black Panther party, but like all different types of people and different socioeconomic backgrounds and what their stories are and how they participated, whether they did or not. I think that's this, this paves the way for different stories to be told. And I love that. And I'm excited for that. So um, I'm going to give it a six. Gabe. Yeah, I, I I love everything that you just said because it, it's tough because with Legacy, we usually have a little bit more time, you know, after the movie's been made to really know. And this literally just came out last month. And I mean, it, again, I, I have to say this is the trailer. Just the trailer alone is going to live in infamy as like the fucking best. One of the best I trailers. Watched I've ever good trailer. I gotta see this I watched trailer. It. I oh my god, you do! It's so good. It's real good. I watched it ten times in a row the first day. I just I fucking it. love it. It's I so just heard about it. I was like, I'm gonna see it. There's black people, so it's, oh, <laughs> do it. It's so good. But I, I'm yeah, there. I mean, like, 
It's, it's okay. Sometimes, sometimes that leads to bad things, like coming to America too. You know what I mean? So you, that oh, that that God. frame it's of thought that doesn't that always lead to a good thing. Sometimes it leads you to a really shitty movie. <laughs> I watched that as well, and I was disappointed. Fucking terrible. I, um, <laughs> Fucking yeah, terrible. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I don't know. Like <laughs> this movie already. It's so weird how it's had this effect. I figured I was going to watch it and like it, and I knew I was going to like it, no matter what. I just knew it. I did not think I was going to love it as much as I do. Like I really feel impacted by it and it, and it is on every technical standpoint. I think that I think, as I said, this is just, I I'm sure Daniel Kaluuya is capable of doing even better roles, but like this performance is just going to live, you know, rent free in my head forever. I it's, it's so good. Shaka King is going to have an incredible director role. Mm-hmm directorial career and you know writing career as well i'm really glad that he's friends with ryan coogler um i want to see so much more produced by ryan coogler he's just got such a great understanding of what makes a powerful movie i mean his first three movies are just like almost no one's had a run like he has um if there's going to be a big lasting legacy i don't know how many people have seen this movie truthfully and it's about to leave hbo max yeah if there's gonna be a legacy for this movie, I hope to fucking God it's that people know who Fred Hampton is. Because so many people do not know who Fred Hampton is. Both of my parents had no idea who Fred Hampton was. I and and that's it's upsetting, that's but I'm so glad wanted, that something man. like this exists. Yeah. And I just have to say, like, the fact that he brought together the the, the people we brought together, the Confederate descendants. Uh, Puerto Ricans in that town, like uh, different, ga- he brought th- together the crowns, like different gangs and, and and different people from all walks of life because of how powerful, how powerfully he spoke and and how committed he was to his cause. I mean, he was twenty one. There's no. like that. It, it, it's just fucking upsetting that someone with so much promise like that. You know that they're gone, and, and I hope that this movie at least keeps that uh, in people's minds because we really haven't changed that much since since he was talking. You know, financially, politically, socially, we haven't changed a lot, and I, I think they get that point across really well in this movie. So I give it a six, and I and I really hope it wins some Academy Awards. And if it doesn't, I'm I'm actually I'm gonna be really fucking pissed. Yeah. Was that a six from you too, Layla? Yeah. Okay. Uh, last word on on Judas and the Black Messiah, Mike. I'm trying to stay thinking about like how did I respond? How did people respond? How's it aged? Um, it hasn't aged at all, right? You just said it, you just said it perfectly. It just came out, so I I think I do very much think more people need to see it. Um, I responded in a very I, I'm very excited about it just because I you know I found out who Fred Hampton was by going to the um, to an art exhibit in Los Angeles. A couple years ago and they had his door the door that they shot up in the art exhibit they have his door standing green exactly how it was in the movie too um they have his door with all the bullet holes in it they have it still um as part of the exhibit wow. and that's how i found out the story of fred hampton i didn't learn about that in my history books i didn't learn about that even in college history classes um and i've actively study like the civil rights so it's like i've heard his name you know heard his name heard him talked about but nobody really talks about like the lasting legacy of Fred Hampton. Um, n- not enough. And so I think this movie definitely helps drive that. So that enough, that's in itself outside of film. That's more than enough for me. Um, 
Yeah, I think so. I'm going to I'm going to agree with you guys and uh, put that at a six. OK. Um, Layla, talk about the lasting legacy of uh, black k- 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 Klansmen. Um, I'm going to go with a six for this as well, um, which is really interesting considering I would not have gone with a six if I hadn't rewatched this movie. I would have gone with a much lower score. I really, truly did not feel much for this movie the first time I saw it. I felt very frustrated by this movie. And looking back, I'm, I wish I knew what all of those frustrations were. But I, like, love this movie now. It's a rewatchable movie, as we know, because Mike has seen it, like, two billion times. But it's <laughs> it's a super rewatchable movie. And on top of that it just gets better. Like this ages so well. And it's, uh, it's, and it's just going to be like a timelessly powerful movie. It's, it's a, it's a important thing for people to see and watch. It's funny. It's dramatic. It's powerful. It's going to pave the way for more movies. It's made, it made John David a star. It brought him into, like Gabe said, he walked on and was like, I'm here guys and I'm not going anywhere. And he didn't. And now he's just it. (laughs) Um, he was in Tenet and then Malcolm and Marie, like within the same year, basically it's, he's this, this movie is the start of John David's career. It's a great film for Adam driver's career. It's an important movie to have been made. I think more movies will be made after it. I think it's a great movie for Spike Lee, and that's a lot coming from me. So it's like, it's just great all around. I think it has a great legacy. And again, the fact that people should watch it over and over again, and they will, and they'll love it more as they do, that's just like, that's a huge legacy on its own. And I think it's just going to continue to age incredibly well. So I'm going to go with the six. Gabe? I, j- just to piggyback off of that, I mean, I... I you know, we're beating a dead horse about this, but it really, really didn't work for me when it came out. Like, and that was a year that I had seen a ton of movies. I went on a podcast talking about my favorite and least favorite movies of the year. And I didn't put that on my least favorite, but I said it was one of my, the most disappointing to me because I remember seeing the trailer to it and just really wanting to see it. I really wanted to get into Spike Lee movies, but oh my God, like, like saying that it aged well over time and on rewatch as an understatement because this movie like night and day i I agree with layla like i fuck i actually love this movie now and i would rewatch it plenty of times because i think it's fun and i think it's really important but you know on top of that you know people responded really well to this movie it got great reviews it was nominated for six oscars spike finally won his oscar after years of being snubbed and <laughs> while for me, I, I you know, and I, I would say for a lot Very of Spike deserving. fans as well. Very deserving. Yeah. If, if it, he deserved it, it was, I would say for a lot of Spike fans and even for me, I wouldn't say it's his, his absolute best screenplay. I, I would no. say that it was one of the best movies of that year. And I feel like ridiculous for not thinking that at the time. And I think he deserved the Oscar. It is just so it's it's still a little frustrating that he didn't win for earlier stuff. Like it, not winning. I mean, that's for just the right literally thing, just... the Oscars for you, though. Yeah, they never awesome. give it to I'm anyone. Like, if, for... if, if Malcolm X was thirty-seven minutes shorter, he probably wouldn't have got an Oscar for that. Honestly. It was just way too <laughs> I, damn long. <laughs> it is too. It is too long. But like, yeah, I mean, that's another great example. Like Malcolm X is like people are like, how the fuck does he not win anything for this? So it's three you know, hours and twenty-two minutes. I don't think Black Klansman is his best movie. I I don't. I love it a lot, and I'm glad that it got its recognition. And it will always live on as this is when he finally got his Oscar. 
but I also just got to say, man, like if this movie can have an effect like it has on Mike, it's got to be a pretty fucking important movie. And, you know, it's not necessarily just the subject matter for you. I know you watch plenty of fucking movies that you're really passionate about. We've talked about like Watchmen (laughs) being one of those. And I mean, this is so opposite, but it's great. It's a six for me. I only am not giving it a seven. It's not my favorite Spike Lee movie, but it's I, it's incredible. Last words, Mike. Yeah, and I, exactly what you said. I think if it me watching the way it affected me, I mean, I wanted to take, I went and like took several people to go see that movie. Like I went and got my mom and took her to go see that movie. Like you know, I don't do that very often, but it's just like that's it was very important for me, people in my family to see this movie. So. Um, I think personally, outside of if again Malcolm X, forty-seven minutes shorter, that's Spike Lee's best movie. But outside of that, because you, it wasn't, you this shortened to me it is further by movie. ten minutes this time as opposed to the yeah. other time you said it should be shorter. Yeah. So you're yeah, because it really was fucking really <laughs> long, bro. Uh, it was a really fucking long, bro. Hey, that's fun funny. fact though, I don't know if you you know uh, just random fact, but in the end of Malcolm X, when he's everybody standing up saying "I am Malcolm X, I am Malcolm X," the first kid that stands up is John David Washington. Thought she should know that. Um, wow. Fun fact. Damn. Fun yeah. fact. Fun fact, right? Wow. It's, it's, it's John David Washington. Um, but as far as legacy goes, yeah, there's so much about I think this is this movie is better in 2021 than it was in 2018. I think after the summer Absolutely. of 2020. Obviously. I think ap- <laughs> yeah, I think For both after, me game. <laughs> right. I think after the summer of 2020 specifically and seeing the tension between police yeah. and people and then having a movie that is about police, like... I just think that's so important. You know what I mean? I, I just think it's so important. Having a movie that's about police and showing how representation in a police force changed the way that the police force operated. Yeah. So it gives you this hope that maybe, okay, systemic, whatever, but maybe individuals themselves can overdo it, you know? And she, Patrice says it at a certain point. She's like, you can't overdo the system from within. You can't. She just shoved it off like, no, you can't. And at the end of the movie, she was going to break up with him. I don't know if you guys remember that part. She was literally like, oh, you didn't quit the police? Cool, I'm out. She was like literally standing up to leave. Yeah. Still. So yeah. I just think she was like, done. She was done. You're, oh, you're still a pick. Cool. I'm out. So I just think like watching him and like just that legacy of the police being so, you know, I mean, we had last summer where people were saying like defund the police and all this other stuff. And now to have like a movie like that, where it's like, maybe good police are actually the solution and not just abolishing everything, you know, maybe good police. So I think the legacy of this movie is going to be, stronger as time goes on because i think even though a lot of people like spike lee Klansman, black uh they obviously right off the bat gonna be off put by it you know especially people on the conservative right honestly i mean real are gonna be yeah. immediately off put by it like my i'll admit it shamelessly my parents i'm just kidding i'm just kidding like my family i'm the only non like really hardcore conservative in my family and they were able to uh. they had a lot of reservations about the movie show them this movie and as they're watching it's like oh Oh, oh, until the end. Then they were pissed again. But still, um, <laughs> it's it's one of those movies that gets better as time goes. As you watch it, it's going to get better. I think as we see racial tensions kind of hope start coming to re- resolutions, really, and start things actually get better, you know, from sports, like for NFL, from what we saw in 2020 with the NFL and the NBA and just sports in general, I just think all that's going to play into how this movie is portrayed by people moving forward. Just because it does, it says so much. Like, I can't even speak to how much it says. Like, it just, the whole, the, 
leg, the legacy on this one's deep. And I think they borrow from a lot of past legacy in order to create the future one. Like, I'd be, again, there's, sorry, I'm, I'm long-winded when it comes to Black Klansmen, but I'll say there was a scene, Sergeant Chap mentions Archie Bunker, and then later on they mention Sammy Davis Jr. Now, I think this is very interesting, because those of you don't know who Archie Bunker is, he's like the guy of sitcoms. Like, everybody, all mm-hmm. white people came up watching Archie Bunker. Like, older than me, obviously, but like, came up watching Archie Bunker be this like kind of like staple white American. Like he was like not super racist, but super not inclusive type guy, you know? Um, and there's a scene where Sammy Davis Jr. in the show, like they're about to take a photo and he kisses him. Hmm. And they literally, they mention it, Archie Bunker at one point, Sammy Davis, and then they do the scene where he brings him in like that. Moments like that to me are like, that are the moments that are going to last and stick. And, like, I think you're going to see stuff like that in future movies. I think movies are going to literally borrow from this movie in a lot of ways moving forward. I think that's going to speak to its legacy. You're not obviously going to see a sequel or anything like that to either one of the movies that we're talking about today. But um, I, I think that they both are going to last, last, and last. And like you said, rewatchability is great. So Seven! That's a 93 to 90.5 <laughs> with the winner being Black Klansman. Whoa. Wow. Very, very close. That is... So very, very close. close. Mike's perfect score. Mike boosted the score, but that is uh, that is Sorry. as close as it gets. Uh, I think we we've two had very powerful movies. That. Mike, thank you so yeah, much for being here, man. Um, thank you, thank you guys for having me and letting me talk so much. This was awesome. No, it, <laughs> we appreciated it. I I'm gonna probably play that spectacularity section uh, on repeat. Yeah, I I, uh, I encourage anyone that listened to this to go back and listen t- to that which you already listened to, to get to this point. Uh, this has been facing off. Um, I'm going to quickly do some recommendations for myself. I think anyone out there should learn more about Fred Hampton. You should listen to uh, stuff. They don't want you to know's episode called who killed Fred Hampton, the FBI, um, white people. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, it's a great episode. It's very, very short. You could also listen to behind the bastards has two episodes about, um, who the bastards that killed the Black Panthers, the FBI. Uh, and you should also listen to Stuff You Should Know's episode, How does the, How Did the Black Panthers Work? All three of those give you a nice, uh, nice little base coat, and then you can dig deep into who Fred Hampton was by listening to Fred Hampton talk. If you just uh, type Fred Hampton into Spotify, all of his speeches are right there. Um, learn about who he was. There's a reason why the FBI decided to off him. Um, he, you can kill the revolutionary, but you can't kill the revolution. Hey, yeah, true that. that is. I would also recommend for Black Klansmen if you guys want to just go on YouTube and look up Ron Stallworth having an interview. It's he's hilarious because he. <laughs> yeah, I want to I learn more about Ron Stallworth. Yeah, he. Um, I have to say. Mike, I I would love to talk to you about this, but I highly recommend the show Small Axe, as I was saying, uh, with Steve yeah, McQueen. Yeah. And I, I at least highly recommend the first three episodes, especially, you know, John Boyega's episode is... Is literally... Very, yeah. <laughs> it really relates to this. And I would say Mangrove, the first one, which is my favorite one, really relates to this. And weirdly, Lover's Rock also does. Well, so Lover's I, I Rock think- does relate to a lot of what you were talking about though as far as just like black beautifulness and black like love and enjoying life like that is just an hour of beautiful stuff it's just an hour (laughs) yeah beautiful people dancing and and loving life like it's great yeah 
and you were and you had also mentioned some things about like John Boyega's episode is like being a, a black person and joining the police force because you want to change it from the inside. That's like exactly but it's like what a it is. a little bit of like a darker, harder thing to watch. Yeah. But yes, it's like all, very yeah, real. <laughs> all of them except for Lovers Rock. So uh, I recommend that it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, I'm gonna watch all that. Absolutely, thank you. Uh, you got, uh, next week, what's up, Nick? You want to plug anything, Mike? Do you want people to follow you on stuff? Oh you yeah, got fights coming up. What are you doing? Shut up, bro. I, I, nah, I don't do none of that anymore. <laughs> Broke your I'm, arm too many times. I got, you know, destroyed. I got in a motorcycle accident, so I was all torn up. I'm, 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 I'm still trying to get my my swag back. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I would just encourage people to look up the uh, video, the any news interview of Ron Starworth with the KKK card. It's pretty funny. <laughs> like, it's pretty funny yeah. stuff. Nice. Well, we're so happy to have you on, yeah, uh, Mike. Thank uh, you guys next for week, we're going to be doing WandaVision. We're going to do a, just a breakdown of that season. Very fun show. It's on Disney Plus if you haven't watched it yet. It's very fun. Um, also, you can follow us on Instagram. We're on Instagram.com slash Facing Off Pod. Just look up Facing Off. And we're also on Twitter. Just look up Facing Off. Send us emails, Facing Off Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, anyone got a send off? You kill. The revolutionary, but you can't kill the revolution. All power to all the people. <laughs>